0: Um, Here we go! um, We're live! It's the Fantasy Joes. Uh, This is the Draft Party Day 1. We've got Peter Howard on the line with us so far. Peter, what's going on, my friend?
1: Not much, man. Just trying to make sense of the draft.
0: Yeah, and we're... (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm actually just trying to get my running back model to run, so I have something to say.
0: (laughs) Are you guys hearing some feedback? Okay, so this is our first live...
2: Yeah, this is our... <laughs> no, I think I'm not getting feedback. We're good to go.
3: Yeah, I'm I don't here. hear anything.
2: I mean, Ryan, since we're live on air now, do you, you want to say something about my red face again? No. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure to get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I could. It's uh, It's finally nice here in Minneapolis. And I went and I got a new Vikings hat for this year and figured tonight was a good day to debut it on the the live YouTube broadcast. It's, uh, it's black because... Matching purple with anything else in your entire life is nearly impossible unless you're only wearing purple. I can't
1: I mean, hear anyone right now. I, I mean,
2: everyone's talking. I just, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I was, no, I, was like, I, just, like, I was like, I can continue talking, I guess.
0: I just <laughs> remember yeah, what <laughs> was, was going on because I was playing like, like I had a, like, at a, I just, um, tab open in my in my browser so like it's like a couple second delay and i'm like what's going on oh my god this isn't working this is the first time we've ever done it so that was that was my issue so i just had a tab open sorry about that
3: uh, yeah like that oh, i just said the it's most interesting
0: spot yeah, so <laughs> so well, okay let's try to get this back on track so so because some of our listeners might be listening to this like monday morning on their way to work as the podcast so oh, yeah let, let's let's reset, Peter. Like for our listeners that don't know you, can you introduce yourself? I've been a big fan of Peter Howard's work for a long time. One of my favorite follows on Twitter. He just had a book that was released on Amazon. So, Peter, do you want to like t- talk about yourself and plug that for a second before
1: we get into this draft talk? I r- really don't want to spend time talking about
3: myself. <laughs> <laughs> <And, laughs>
1: That's so. Uh, right. No let's one no bad me. Uh, yeah, um, I write for DLF. I write for Player a trailer. I've written for Fantasy Pros and to QBEs.com as well. Um, I'm originally from England. It's not a speech impediment. Don't worry. And uh, it's actually part English part Kentucky at this point, so I have no idea what I sound like. And, um, yeah, I wrote a, a wide receiver guide for uh, the 2018 draft, which so far is useless since we've only had two go off the board. But uh, <laughs> we, re- we really is one I can get the rest of them uh, uh, signed to a draft pick.
0: Now your guide is awesome. What we're going to put it in the show links because I think most of our listeners we listen to this on Friday morning as, as the podcast. And we've got uh, Jake joining us, Jake Anderson. What's going on?
4: What's going on, fellas? How's everybody doing?
0: Uh, we're great, man. I mean, Sydney Michelle just went to New England, so you know, I like just our, saw our that. Hearts, are, our hearts are exploding here. Um, no, man, this first live YouTube we've done. We've got uh no viewers so far, but hopefully that'll pick up. But if, if not, people listen to this on Friday morning. So so Jake, uh what's going on with you? Tell us about yourself.
4: Oh man, I, I don't think I can follow Peter there. I don't do anything fancy like that. <laughs> I I occasionally write some words for dynasty <laughs> league football. Um you know, I just I I'm obsessed with this with this dynasty thing, just like all of you guys are. And uh, I just try to enjoy it. That's that's really my thing. And I probably don't love it as any more than you guys do. We're all in this boat together, and um, that's that's all I try to get out of it. Is that this is this is just enjoyment. This is just hobby. And uh, you know, sometimes I write
5: about it too.
0: No, that's cool. And yeah, nice. that's what we do. We we all have our day jobs, and uh, you know, any any guys that get together after the the draft to do. Uh, oh, there goes Lamar Jackson off the board to to Baltimore.
4: Yeah, um, it. oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so like a bunch of guys like us that we get together after the draft to talk about the draft to dice implications, you know, we're obsessed and it's crazy and it's ridiculous. And this has been such a fun night. I mean, this is the end of this draft, right? Um, with Lamar Jackson going to Baltimore and, and, and Sonny Michelle going to new England. It's just, what a fun way to end a, a crazy night, a crazy night. Um, and guys that might've dropped off the board, you know, or, or dropped down the board. They really didn't, you know, with, um, the Josh Allen stuff with the you know the the stuff he put on Twitter, uh, you know several years ago didn't seem to impact his draft stock maybe a little bit. Um, Sony Michelle that knee on knee report medical report didn't didn't scare the New England Patriots. So really interesting night. But so what are, what do you guys uh, like any any initial thoughts? I mean, not a lot of skill position players went honestly.
2: Well, one I wanted I wanted to chime in, uh, Peter. I did buy your. Uh, your, your wide receiver guide, even after oh, there was thanks. no installment plan, uh, which I mentioned <laughs> on Twitter the other day <laughs> I was able to to gather <laughs> together weapon, you know, some coins and put it into my, my venmo and, and take care of it so uh, well, i haven't, i 've got it today that, so i haven 't been able to dive into it as much as I wanted. There was some some fun like work stuff going on today, but uh, I am very excited. I actually think the not having uh, a bunch of receivers go in the first round makes it an even better purchase right now, and people can stay up and read <laughs> it all night. In anticipation <laughs> for tomorrow. Yeah, and I think no, most people thought more people like more where should we go in the second round? So it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, um yeah, I don't know. It feels like the opposite of last year. It felt like last year there was a lot of movement to try and get why uh, try and get skill position players, and this year it's it feels very much the opposite. Um if you need a a, a payment plan for the three dollars and by all means just contact me. I think we can <laughs> figure something out on that. <laughs> I have got to find some way of justifying the amount of hours I'm spending on this to my wife. <laughs> I just have to. And that's what the $3 is. Hopefully, I'll be able to take the kids to the movies and say, look, that, that was worth the three months of constantly staring on the laptop. But yeah, um, as for the draft, well, who have we had? Moore and Ridley. And that's the order I, th- I think I have them in. And the more wide receivers that get drafted, the more that will go between Moore and Ridley. That's that's where I'm at right now. He went to uh, Ridley. Went to Atlanta, didn't he? Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: I would take <laughs> That would be my take on that. <laughs> that was a good landing. I can really kill a room. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought those were good landing spots for those wide receivers, though. And um, already we're seeing some some shakeup. I think in these rookie drafts, we're going to see. What about the, the surprise of the night guys has to be Rashad Penny to Seattle. What do you guys think of that? I mean, that I that's blew
4: it. my mind. I hate it. And the the reason I, I think a lot of people are going to actually be excited about this. And I think a lot of people are probably bigger Penny fans than I am. But I was I'm not a big Penny guy. And I think he's being a little overvalued already. And now that he has this first round capital, I, I just I don't think I'm going to be having him in any rookie drafts. I think he's going to probably be locked in that 105, 106, uh, in range for rookie drafts. And uh, I don't know if I don't think Seattle is a great landing spot, anyways. What What didn't you like about him? You know what I? You my like, what I've been saying Danny. is <laughs> it'd be better if he was a nickel or a dime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, when, I, when I watched this tape I he kind of reminded me of Dante Foreman from last year uh he had such massive holes to run through and and the competition he faced was not very good I just don't see him being dynamic in the NFL I think he's you know I think he's probably a, a 15 touch guy uh, a game a touch 15 touches a game guy and I don't think he's a, a great receiving threat and obviously, his his pass blocking deficiencies could limit him to knocking down the field on third downs. Um, you know, you have J. D. McKissick there; he's a really good receiving threat. Uh, Chris Carson, I think, you know, if he's back to health, I think it could be it could be just a muddy situation. And that's the way I feel about Sony too. I just I'm not excited about either of those landing spots because of opportunity and market share that they're going to see in those situations.
1: I'm really not excited about Sony. <laughs> penny came out uh i've got a running back model right um not i'm a mathematician or anything but i try and find some statistics or metrics to guide me since i'm not you know a genius film watcher i just enjoy it and and what made him pop was the fact he's actually got one of the highest uh rushing Yard market shares of any running back in this class. Like he had 68% of rushing yards for his team in his final year, whereas Barkley only had 56. So, um, as for the workload, he was actually sustaining uh, market share ways, uh, kind of a, the higher market share of any running back that went in the first round. So, I, I don't know.
4: Well, I mean, San Diego State's kind of they're a running team. And another part is. Danelle Pumphrey was the the guy in that backfield just last year, and if he can't beat out Pumphrey, and yes, uh, I, I Penny's definitely going to forecast to the NFL better than than Pumphrey at 160 pounds. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that's another concern of mine is is he wasn't really getting much playing time when Pumphrey was there just last year. So it's a combination of things. Part of it's gut feel too. When I watch his tape, he didn't really speak to me. And, uh, you know, I'm not I'm a smart metrics guy like, like you are and some others. And um, so I don't have that kind of statistical backup, but that's just what I see on tape. And I generally trust my process. And sometimes it's, it's hard to put into context for other people, but that's just my specific evaluation on him.
2: I think my thing that I really dislike is that the Seahawks took him in the first round. They traded away quite a few picks and they don't have a lot left. And I just don't know what that team's going to be this year. It it it's yeah, kind it kind of makes like, no sense.
4: Yeah, that's the lit. only part because I like lit.
2: Penny as a prospect. I think he is. He'll have a great opportunity. And as I've learned through the years, is that it's very hard to predict how somebody's going to fit into an offense right away. Like initially, for the for the most part, like now he's going to have first round pedigree going to Seattle, and he's going to be with Russell, you know, Russell Wilson in that offensive line. And uh, they, I just hope that they had a you know a plan to really like how to use him because I mean otherwise it, it, it's just been this kind of like. You know, they've just been throwing things against the wall and waiting for something to stick. And now they take a running back in the first round when they have so many other needs. Like, it just is insane to me. <laughs> They're just, it just, it's just. And Geis, home. right?
1: Uh, it surprised me. Like, I, that's why I want to know what Jake uh, didn't like about him. Because he came up high because of some of his numbers. But, like, I didn't understand really why. Because, like, uh, Geis is meant to be and is the better running back, I think. So uh, I was interested in what Jake thought there, and it's just like Geis is um, what's the word marketed as a Seahawks style running. You know, angry runs to contact. Just well, he has that Marshawn. Penny really isn't
4: so. Yeah, he did comp to Marshawn, so he's, he definitely seemed to fit that that mold there.
2: But at least uh, the Seahawks don't care about pass blocking, so he doesn't have yeah. to worry about that that kind know. of <laughs> game. You know, a good point.
4: <laughs> they'll, they'll find an un, undrafted free agent to, to that played D tackle to be their <laughs> starting right guard. So, well, who yeah. has
2: it? Or like some? Yeah, I haven't played football in a few years. Or yeah. the one basketball font that was on it was fan, right? If
4: it, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> and then when he went down, they're like, "Oh no, what are we going to do?" Recruiting directly games and flight football matches, and anyway. <laughs> now, do you guys
0: see um, a running back run at the top of the second round? Because you've got. You know, Cleveland, the, the Giants, again, they're not going to take a running back. Cleveland, Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Tampa Bay. I mean, all those picks, those five of those top six picks.
1: Are we going to see these
0: running backs people. off the board? Is uh, Darius Geis going to going to go off the board, you think, early in the second?
1: Well, Indiana, Indianapolis with, you know, back-to-back picks, 36 and 37, you got to think they're going to take someone, and it's probably going to be Geis if he's sitting there. And that, it will be a steal if they do, I think, at that point for them.
4: Yeah, that's the only that's the only running back I think is going to be going early in in day in day two here.
0: Yeah, Nick Whalen has joined the drafter party. I think if, if he's got his audio going. Yeah, what's up, boys? Whalen, Nick Whalen is a huge Darius Guys fan, right, Nick?
3: <laughs>
5: not so much. Not so much.
0: <laughs> what do you, What do you think of these running backs on off the board? You know, with Penny Penny, the surprise of the draft. I think we can we can all say, and, and then. Um, uh, so Michelle, what do you think, Nick?
5: Uh, well, honestly, I mean, this is what we live for, right? I mean, this was fun. This is what the draft's supposed to be. It's supposed to be not as predicted, right? No one knew, you know, all this stuff was going to happen, and, you know, that kind of makes it uh, enjoyable for us to watch. If it was what all our lists were supposed to be like, then it would be any fun. But um, I love it. Honestly, when you think of Penny and you look at what, you know, what Seattle needs, they need a guy that can do lots of things. Uh one underrated part that people probably don't really know about a lot is Penny is the uh tied for the lead for all time leading uh kick return record. He had seven in a college. I mean, think about that. That's kind of crazy for a running back his size and he can catch the ball. And Seattle needs a guy that can do lots of stuff because they don't they're lacking weapons there, even after losing Paul Richardson. Uh Michelle, all the reports that came out, eh, maybe New England, they just put them out there so people would let him fall them. Who knows? But um, I'm not a big Geist fan, as you guys know. I think that having him being maybe the fourth best running back off the board here, maybe later, uh, kind of validates my concerns a little bit. Um, I think there were his character things that might come true too. Then I know people are like, "Those aren't true." He didn't go 13 to Washington. He didn't go in the first round, so there must be some validity there. So who's the
0: who's the 102 in like a like a, a non superflex draft, non two QB? What do you guys think? Because it was Geis. I mean, Geis was locked into that one Oh two. Does it change after tonight?
1: I think he's going to go back there after he gets drafted. Right. Like right now, everyone wants to trade the pick, but if he goes to Indianapolis, he's going to
4: be the one Oh two again. I mean, if he goes to Tampa Bay in the second round, I think. Yeah. Easily locked in.
3: You got, you guys know for me, man. I mean, Uh, Nick Chubb has been gaining ground on Darius Geis. And so for me, with Darius Geis falling now behind both Michelle and Rashad Penny out of the first round, I think for me, if I were on the clock, you know, for some crazy reason, tonight I was doing a rookie draft and I didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow, I think I would (laughs) likely take Chubb over Geis as much as, you know, I I mean, I just, Chubb's the guy I want to have on my team. He's the guy I want to root for. Um, you know, I, I'll i be super interested to see where each of them land. Um, I'm, I'm also suspicious, you know, c- coming into tonight, I, I was wondering if we might not see Chubb. And I still, you know, obviously in, into round two to see Chubb go over Geis wouldn't surprise me at all. So I think after what Guys did at, or uh, what Chubb did at the combine, he, he could sneak. And honestly, there's going to be people out there. I mean, Curtis Patrick is a guy who's been big on uh, Rashad Penny. So, I, I mean, if Geis falls to the mid or late second round, I think that you could have guys that could ar- would argue that Rashad Penny could, could be worth that one two. I mean, it, it's going to. You know, I think Seattle still has some offensive line issues. But the, the thing is that you, you talk about these guys that are in workhorse situations, and, and I think that Rashad Penny could end up being that guy. He can catch the football. He, he could end up being a three-down back there in Seattle. So it's going to be a lot of fun to, to watch the, the next two rounds unfold tomorrow night.
1: I'm just crying over my pro-size shares, actually. That's my main takeaway.
2: Well, <laughs> since Penny's going to Seattle, he's going to break his leg. That seems to be their, yeah. their traditional running back uh, <laughs> go-to. It's not like he'll fracture his leg at some point. He'll come back strong, but.
4: I think he's going to be shocked from seeing the holes that he saw in college from going to that offensive line. I think he's going to he, – I think he could be in for a rude rude surprise there in Seattle.
2: Uh, so I do have a I, – I, I looked it up earlier. I was looking this up kind of today. Uh, one, I I tweeted it out that uh, – Something something I discovered that I just hadn't noticed before. One Kyle Shermer. So Pat Shermer's son uh is a is gonna be a senior at Vanderbilt at quarterback. Uh nice 6'4 prospect, has some accurate shows, just according to stats. I haven't seen any watching film or anything on him. And so I was like, huh, I bet they're gonna take Barkley because next year it'll be the Shermer <laughs> the Shermer family at the Giants. Uh but where I was leading with that is a, so Barkley to the Giants. One, did you did you kind of see this coming and were you excited or not excited for it happening?
1: I saw it. I kind of expected it. I, I really don't try and predict the draft because it's a lot more fun when I'm not constantly updating the mock draft that I did. But um, um, Dave Gettleman kind of sealed it for me. Uh, he's, he, he doesn't trade back. He's an unimaginative thinker and a really, really bad GM. So, that yeah, that... <laughs>
4: That pretty much sealed it. <laughs> I think, though, there wasn't it was gonna happen, you know. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think Barkley was very landing spot dependent uh, as far as his perception goes and his fantasy output's gonna go. So whether it was Cleveland or New York, I think it was an awful football move. Uh, but as far as you know, we're not really talking football moves here. We're talking dynasty and fantasy uh, prospects. So uh, yeah, Barkley's a beast. I think he's gonna do well. Um, I think he can overcome some of those limitations from that offensive line just because there's so many weapons outside. Uh, you got Evan Ingram, you got OBJ. They can't just focus on Barkley. And I think Barkley is going to be getting some slop reps too. I mean, he he's going to run some routes in that offense. So he's not just going to get carries. He's going to get receptions there too.
2: Yeah, weirdly enough, it makes me a little bit excited for Eli Manning next year. Of all things, the way Shermer's dealt with quarterbacks in his first years being offensive coordinator and what he does with teams and the offense that he runs—it's creative and it's innovative. And uh, weirdly enough, yeah, uh, count count Greenwood as excited for for Eli Manning's uh, production next year. Probably, probably no rush, rushing yeah. touchdowns, but you know, he might have like a yard or two here and there.
4: If he can't do well with those weapons, he really is done. <laughs> and and that's part of the problem is I think he might be underwhelming just like he's been the last few years. And then what do you do next year? I mean, because you drafted Barkley, I don't think you you're, you're going to be in the middle of the pack now. I don't think you're going to have a top 10 pick anytime soon. Uh, you know, unless there's some some major injuries to that team because I think their roster is pretty solid overall as far. I don't think they're a top two team as far as really bad rosters uh in the league. So, uh, for me it was a no-brainer to take quarterback there. And uh, I think that's going to hurt them. And that could even actually end up hurting Barkley uh, in the near future.
0: You think Davis Webb is a buy. I know that sounds crazy guys, but mm. there was that the buzz that, that they really liked him and they don't really know what they have in him. Um, is that just crazy for me to throw that out there? <laughs> am I, am I crazy for saying that or do you do, you guys, do any of you guys think Davis Webb might be a, a sneaky buy right now
4: for cheap? I don't think so. I two QB Superflex, I mean, if you can add them for free and you have deep rosters, I think it might be worth it. Uh I certainly wouldn't be paying anything for him.
0: I don't think you'd have to pay anything for him, but I think it's, you know, it obviously I mean, you know, they could take what Rudolph's still on the board, right? They could turn around and take Rudolph here, at the, you know, the top of the second round, I, I suppose. Um but That's gross. uh
4: yeah, that's really, that,
2: that's, <laughs> a, that's another
4: four I
5: mean, point. He,
2: he was sneaking up in the, the draft, the
5: draft uh, narrative street. So, yeah. I uh, mean, yeah. ultimately, this is what I think. I mean, this is what all teams think about, okay? They think about, am I one player away? Am I a couple players away? Or am I rebuilding? And you want to look at the Giants? They obviously thought, hey, if we can surround Eli with a, an elite player, then we can make a run for two or three years. And I, they, that's what they have to be thinking. And also, when you think yeah. about it, OBJ doesn't sound like he wants to be there long-term. So if we're like, well, this is what we got for a couple of years. We're going to go for it. And and, and I, I'm a little contrarian this way. I mean, we, we've seen how many quarterbacks come and go, and maybe they're good or maybe they're average or bad like Ryan Tannehill or they flop, but how many elite quarterbacks really are there we know Barkley's gonna be good. I know everyone wants to throw out Trent Richardson. Okay, shut up, right? That's whatever. You know what I mean? Anybody can bust. Okay, I get it. But but Barkley's he's gonna be really good. And and what if you just continually said, hey, we're gonna take really good football players. We don't care if it's Quentin Nelson, a guard, or a running back, we're gonna surround our team that way and film the rest of the free agency and just go from there. Like you can get a case Keenum. You know, what I mean we've seen these other quarterbacks that have risen up. You don't have to spend the premium in the chance that they're gonna bust.
1: I think that's fair, especially when the question comes down to can Eli Manning be as good as Peyton Manning in his last season but with much better skill position players. That's that's a fair point. Yep.
5: Well, well, when you look at the Broncos, right, with Elway, they surround him with a running game, and he made a run. Look at Brady. They just got him a running back. Look at Eli. They just got him a running back. They're, they're trying to extend these careers by taking pressure off of them. Don't you
1: think that's in part just – I don't know. Uh, we reflect the NFL sometimes. The fact they're all stuffing these running backs onto the roster is because running backs just did really well. So they all want running backs because, you know, they, they're it's, it's a lot.
0: It's a
2: monkey, year. <laughs> type of thing.
1: Yeah.
0: So should we talk about quarterbacks or should we talk about Matt Patricia's outfit this evening that he wore? Did you guys, any of you guys catch that? Matt Patricia.
4: Did, so I didn't see he, it. Oh
0: my gosh, he was wearing like he he needs to see a new salesman at Men's Warehouse. I'm, I'm telling you guys because Was it baggy? Well, it was like it was like this gray sports coat over this black shirt, the super ugly tie, and I was just like, you know, you just got the you're, you're an NFL head coach. You got to you got to up your game for I draft fear, night.
5: Yeah, has has Cody ever cared, you know? Yeah, I kind of like that they
0: just his appearance. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay, maybe. Okay, we'll talk about quarterbacks. Then it's not that like is, he
4: that just, that just, got just got signed by the Yankees and now he's got to be all. Please. I need some other examples of better
2: outfits, Ryan. If we're going to be comparing this other draft, <laughs> I don't know. Look at the Cowboys' war room.
0: All those guys were dressed in like you know their their nice suits. You know they had their Brooks Brothers suits on. They look good.
2: Uh, think about it, one of my favorite parts of the whole draft was how Goodell got booed every time. The crowd, was, even, but they never gave up. It was like, it was always just, it wasn't even like a loud move the whole time. So I was like,
0: oh. Even when the high school player, I, the, the Texas <laughs> yeah. football players came on, you know, the Arlington football players, they're still doing them, you know? And he's like, you know, turning around and like clapping at them. Like, look, I've got the high school football players with you, you can't believe me. And
2: nobody in the crowd cares <laughs> unless it's their team's picked. They're all just like drinking and like, and they're just like, oh. and it just. It was, I thought it was just so funny because it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't overly emphatic. Nobody was really that into it, but they're like, got to give it to him a little bit each time <laughs> so let, let, but let's talk about QBs I, I mean
0: I, I, you know, where do we even begin Trey Baker Mayfield going to Cleveland why don't you why don't you kick it off I know you're you're thrilled about that
3: well I, I'm just excited because I think that Baker Mayfield stepping into an incredible spot there because Tyrod Taylor is serviceable in that he, I mean, they, there's no reason that Baker Mayfield should take snaps as a starter this year. So he's got a year that he can sit. It's not like Cleveland has playoff aspirations, but you know, I, I look 12 months down the road, and the the weapons that he has there. They brought in Carlos Hyde, which you know, m- the much maligned Carlos Hyde, which you guys know, Ryan and Will. I'm a fan of Carlos Hyde as a talent. Duke Johnson, an underrated. Uh, running back and pass catcher they signed jarvis landry another really underrated pass catcher that can get open and be a reliable target across the middle you got josh gordon the potential i mean what what's going to happen with Corey coleman who knows david and joku i mean the weapons that he's going to have there what they're building there in cleveland not not to mention you know they've they've got several picks here i think they've got two of the first four picks right in the second round as well so i mean they're just loading up I I love Baker Mayfield's moxie. I I think for me, he's going to be the quarterback that I most want to own um, on dynasty teams moving forward because I think he's going to be fun to own. He's a guy that I I hope, of all the quarterbacks in this draft, he's the one that I want to see succeed. Lamar Jackson as well. I'm a little disappointed at at his landing spot, but um, I I do think that um, seeing a couple of these guys here coming to spots where they can sit for a year, I think super important. Um, so I, I'm excited. You guys know I've been a big fan of what the Browns are doing. I've predicted that they're going to make the playoffs in the next three years. I stand behind that. I'm pulling for them, and, and I really – I was happy to see, I, you know, they could have gone a lot of different directions there at the top, but I, I'm excited to see what Mayfield can bring to that team.
1: They can't ever just do it. All the way right? Can they though? I mean, I, I've liked what they have been doing. I love some of the position players they've added, and um, but like just I, I may feel you know it's the best quarterback in the class as far as I evaluate them go. But you know if they traded down from four, they could have done this again next year, right? <laughs> they could could have just own next year's draft as well. But they have to just you know not do it perfectly all the way. <laughs>
4: Yeah, the right. ward, I was the, really p- it was really telling it. The ward pick was a little bit of a surprise. I know there was some some chatter about that they could take him, but I think a trade back scenario would have been beneficial to them. Uh as far as Mayfield goes, I honestly I'd be surprised if he doesn't start week one uh over Tyrod. And then my fave, my quarterback one, I, I love, I mean, I don't I don't know if I love the landing spot. I was just happy that he got selected uh and it wasn't Buffalo uh is Josh Rosen. Uh, I felt really excited about that. I think I think he's pro ready. I think he could definitely start week one too. Um, and if not, we know Sam Bradford's knees probably won't hold up. So he's gonna get some playing time, at least get a little bit of time with Fitz there. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about that, that landing spot as well.
0: Third quarter of week one, Jake. He'll he'll be in the game, don't worry. That sounds fair. <laughs> That's like a unless, unless Bradford has like a
2: hard sneeze in preseason. <laughs>
0: yeah. No. I, I. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm excited about those top, top three guys for sure. Um, with uh, in terms of getting, you know, playing time with with, with Baker Mayfield, Darnold, and Rosen, uh, and and then, you know, Jackson to the Ravens. I think he'll he'll sit behind Flacco at least for a couple of years. Um, but but I, but it's interesting. So where do we rank the quarterbacks in terms of do, do, do we rank them differently in one QB leagues versus two QB or super flex leagues? What do, what do you think, Nick Whalen, about the QBs?
5: Well, my rankings are different than anybody's. So um, before the combine, I had him, I had it Mayfield. Well, uh, Rosen and Mayfield were in the top tier with Rosen above him, so I agree there. I'm a big Rosen fan. I mean, I I don't care that he's confident and doesn't care that he's got a chip on his shoulder. I like a guy with a chip on his shoulder, but the thing that people don't, I don't know, I don't think a lot of people are really good at looking at film, they watch highlights, much film. Rosen and Mayfield has such a grasp of their offense and making multiple reads that you look at Mayfield and Cleveland and I'm just like, whoa, all those weapons. Oh, Gordon's he's covered. Go to Njoku up the seam. He's covered. I'm going to check down to Landry or check down to Duke Johnson. I mean, he's going to make that offense just roll. And honestly, I don't think we got to wait three years. I think Cleveland is very, very underrated moving forward. I think that they could really surprise you think of Baltimore. I would take Cleveland over Baltimore. I would take Mm -hmm. them over Cincinnati right now. Um, and I know Pittsburgh's good, so I'm not going to go there, but they're, they're on the rise for sure. Uh, I know Denzel Ward, yeah, that's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, looking at Darnold, I agree with you. I, I, Darnold's my fourth best quarterback, um, and I have so many concerns about him, and people don't talk about him. He had 22 turnovers this last year. Nobody talks about that. They talk, they they shit all over Josh Allen, yes, who has exactly. cut his interceptions in less than half in one year. But it's easy to trash him. But let's forget about Darnold and how terrible his footwork is in the pocket. How terrible he's after his first reads. So for me, it's 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 Mayfield because he has more weapons, too, by the way. Rosen, and then it's just kind of a mess. I don't like Jackson, he's my sixth best quarterback. Obviously, the NFL doesn't agree that he's a franchise quarterback if he falls to 32 um and i don't like Darnold's landing spot i i'm i'm i'm, I'm, I'm alan's my third guy i know people don't agree with me there but he's gonna be asked to win everything in buffalo so i think he'll run and throw and try and make it work so both of those guys are in a group of like yuck and it's basically it's mayfield and rosen on top
0: what's wrong with the jets as a landing spot i, I mean maybe short term it's bad but but long term i mean don't don't you think he'll sit there for a while you think they're going to be pressured into playing him uh, because they've got what they sign a bunch of kind of you know um teddy, teddy bridgewater and and who, who else i'm trying to think Josh oh McCown. The, the, McCown, yeah yeah you know, mccown the, the, come on mccown you know he's so what, what you don't like about the jets um obviously this next year maybe but long term that's a bad spot
5: well that's that's a big that's a big market that's a lot of pressure you know look at mm-hmm. buffalo is that as much pressure not even close look at arizona not as much pressure but new york you you mess up a little bit there it all kind of comes down to it. Look at Sanchez. I mean, he got ostracized, and, and I think that's a part of this. And there's not a lot of weapons there. Who's going, to, who's going to be his guru? You know, their head coach is a defensive guy, and I have concerns about his game to start with, and that's a lot of chips not in his favor. So I'm against Donald moving forward, and, and I think they botched that pick. I think they could have waited at six. They could have had those second-round picks, and they could have built a round with some weapons. Think, Look now. Think if they could have added a Geis or a Chubb. And a Sutton or a wide receiver to go with a quarterback—that would be phenomenal, right? Yeah, now. And they could have. They could have gotten Rosen at six. Oh, that's. How did Arizona <laughs> trade a third and get up to ten? I don't. Right I, don't
4: I don't. Oh. understand it. I, they just—they played that so well. They played it so well, and I was so happy he didn't go to the Buffalo. Just I didn't want to, I didn't really want any quarterback. I, I didn't want Rosen to go there because I. I really feel like he he should have went to New York. He should have went to the Giants at two. Uh, I would have loved that for him. That would have been. <laughs> he would have been.
1: Cardinal's con- con- have- a good consolation prize, though. You know, I'd rather yeah, go bad. there than anywhere bad. else. That was taken.
4: It wasn't a bad. It wasn't a bad landing spot, but I think he could succeed really anywhere. I just thought Buffalo would be the the hardest spot for him to succeed out of those quarterback needy teams,
1: if not the Giants. then I'm I'm fine with Atlanta. I'm really excited about Chad Williams yeah. you now. <laughs> So so did it get easier for Cleveland to
0: catch the Steelers with uh, uh Martavis Bryant getting traded to the Raiders, guys?
4: Who? <laughs> I love Martavis, but, I mean, I don't think he's, he was really in the Steelers' plans. There was talk about them trading him last year. So it doesn't really surprise me, and it, I don't know how much opportunity he's going to have in in oakland either so i think it's almost a non-talking point i don't think it really changes his value a whole lot
0: you don't think so uh, you know with gruden being there you know he's, he's going to the raiders uh Derek carr back from injury uh qb1 this year yeah i mean it's a good time to sell martavis bryant <laughs> right if you've got him on your team
4: would you guys agree uh, I, I don't i don't know yeah, it's not. a
1: really good time so i i think bryant's someone that you really have to do well with you know, you have to coach him well. You have to train him well. You have to prepare him well. And he's a phenomenal player and athlete. And he's not going to get any of that where he is. And left to himself, he's he's not Antonio Brown. He's not Larry Fitzgerald. These guys who are just going to work on their craft and work on the game plan and stick their nose in the book and just do it themselves. He's someone that has to be managed, and he's not going to get managed, you know. He's going to be asked to go be an athletic marvel, and that's going to do badly, and he's going to be the next Cordero Paris. And that's my feeling on it. <laughs> Every time I speak, there's like this 10 second pause afterwards, and I don't know if it's my microphone. <laughs> I'm just working. trying to adjust that.
4: Bad. It was like, wow. Did he say that? I mean, in a, that's in a way,
1: isn't that? <laughs> that he should not have said that. That's
5: what it is. I mean, Josh Gordon is an athletic marvel, and now he's got lots of talent surrounding him, and he's got Hugh Jackson as his coach. So do we? You know, he didn't play that well last year. I know people want to believe it. He didn't play that well, but he's ranked so much higher. I mean, it says something that Oakland paid a third-round pick for a guy that was unwanted. Someone wants him at least. I mean, I think it's it's worth a gamble. I mean, Jordy Nelson, man, the slot. You know, it kills all my Andre uh, Holmes shares. Joking. You know, you know they don't really have a tight end. You know, so well I I shouldn't. Jared Cook was. Jared Cook had a good year last year. yeah. I shouldn't say that. Um, but I mean, I think it's it's a better NFL move than a fantasy move, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's right. I mean, Cordero Patterson's a good NFL player. I wasn't ragging on him for being that. I love Cordell Patterson. As yeah, a exactly. He's just he's just not <laughs> going to be your wide receiver I hope
4: I hope he gets well. Maybe not with the Sony uh, draft pick. I was really hoping that they would maybe get him in the backfield in anyway. New Yes. Yes. He was phenomenal his rookie year. Yeah, right. And he he's I mean, I was jumping up and down when the Vikings took him. Uh, because I he's still the most electrifying player I've seen in space that I've evaluated. And well, I think he's still got that. I just he's not a route runner, his hands are inconsistent. Uh he's another guy that's not gonna dive into the playbook on his own. He needs to be managed as well. But you get him the ball in space where he doesn't have to think and he can react and be an athlete man he's he's still special he's still got mm-hmm. that
1: that's kind of what and, i mean about brian as well he's someone that can do very special things but you have to use him to do that you need a coach that's not got two lanes and if you don't fit into one of these right. lanes and he doesn't know how to use you
5: right and, and to and, give you guys a big useless piece of information but i wrote an article and matt wallman's rsp on cordell patterson when he came out i watched every game i could of him which covered all but like one i think out of tennessee and i watched Uh, um, uh, Tavon Austin and then Robert Woods is just like to compare his rate at making people miss was Mm. so unbelievable in college. There were only two times that I counted that Patterson tried to make somebody miss the first guy and didn't. It was like, (laughs) it's so incredible. I was like, mind blowing. And you look at, you know, Tavon Austin, he's pretty wiggly. You know, Woods isn't. But like the rate, wait, they were not even close, and it was not even like one way. It was like juking, power, spin. Like he could do it all. It was, but I, I, I drink the, I drink the Kool Aid too. I'm with you there. Uh, I think. Well, even just like as far as him
4: showing his abilities, even moving the kick up five yards, I think that even hurt him a little bit because he just doesn't get the opportunity to re- return kicks even. So, he, like he was killing it there for the Vikings even after his rookie season. So.
0: Hey, guys, can we talk offensive linemen that we're taking tonight? <laughs> the no. reason I want to talk about them is because uh, does that impact the value of players? Well, we were thinking about uh, Billy Price to Cincinnati. Does that help Joe Mixon? Um, and, and maybe we saw the writing on the wall with that. Do, do any of these offensive linemen uh, landing spots excite you about uh, skill position players?
4: Well, the Bengals needed to do something. They needed to start somewhere with that offensive line. I still think they have a lot of holes. And I'm I'm a big Mixon fan uh, as far as talent talent wise. Uh I I don't know how much it affects them. I think the rest of this draft has to play out. I was surprised that the the Lions went offense. I really expected them to take a defensive player um, with Patricia there. Um, you know, let's see who else was taken. I thought the Raiders pick was awful. Um, I'm not a Colton Miller fan. It, why would you not take Derwin James there? I that was the 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 steal of the draft. Again, the Chargers just that defense is gonna be so good, especially that secondary and that pass rush. Um and then you know, uh yeah, a quick a quick look at uh
2: last year, the Chargers allowed the second least amount of points against last year. And now they had a guy like Derwin James, who I felt like coming into this year was uh being you know being tired is a really really high pick so i I think i'm I'm pretty excited for the
1: chargers next year i was actually thinking that i was gonna say that just the other day i was sitting around like why aren't we all running around buying Chargers players i mean what don't they have they have this phenomenal defense they have this star wide receiver and keenan allen tyrell williams believe me or not he's he, he's a star wide receiver and he's certainly one hell of a deep threat by any way you want to measure it. And so he can play that role too. And then you've got Hunter Henry. It's like, Oh, just one of the best tight ends that's <laughs> come out in recent years. And then Philip Rivers, who's, Oh yeah, just pro Bowl quarterback. Like, yeah. why are we not like, <laughs>
2: well, until they, until they get a really good kicker, I'm out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's basically it. Right. Like
1: what's yeah. that punter look like? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <but, laughs>
2: If they lose another game, if they lose another like five games by a missed field goal, it's going to be heartbreaking.
1: That's what it is, isn't it? It's just the fact the Chargers should have been fantastic the last three years and haven't been for some nothing. (laughs) But I think I think that's important to note for their defense. Though I think their running game there's going to be
2: important because they're going to be it's going to the offense is I I honestly believe with where they're going is going to be a little bit slower than it's been, and you're going to see more rushing opportunities late in games. And so they're, you know, a guy, you know, Melvin Gordon, I know they signed him for his, they, they, they tacked on his fifth year and they, you know, we'll see how the next rounds go. But a, a guy like him, I've been trying to buy on the, try to like, you know, put out feelers for people who are low on him or might, you know, might've uh, listened to a bunch of like podcasts or something like that, just because I think next year with the way this team is going maybe in the next two years, I think he's going to be just a stud as far as like volume goes and and touchdowns and production. I think it's only going to go up for him, but after that, you know, but if I can get two good years of Melvin Gordon, I'll take that all day.
4: Well, that's really all we're looking for for any running backs, really, is is that two-, three-, to five-year window. And I, I wasn't a big Melvin Gordon fan coming out. I mean, I think he was my running back three or four that year. Um, but I, I'm on the same boat. I mean, I wait till I don't like a player until his value gets to a point where it's a clear buying opportunity. And his value is definitely sunk, and I I've bought him this offseason too. So I, I like that.
1: People are really expecting him to be replaced, or if not replaced, the uh, Austin Eckler role to be beefed up or taken away by someone else in this draft. And He's not a receiver. I mean, uh, Cordero Patterson as well, this is true as well. You can see in their market share and their college production that neither of them could do what they're being expected of, but Melvin Gordon's often one of those running backs held up as look. They didn't catch passes in college, but they did in the pros, but the problem with him in the pros is that he doesn't catch passes well, so uh, so they are looking to replace that, but as far as a running back goes, he's actually been one of the top five running backs in the league in terms of efficiency, the only way I think we can measure it accurately, and so he keeps getting hammered because of his inefficiency in passing, the passing game, but he was never a pass-catching a great pass catching back, so yeah, it's a really good time to buy low. Buy low on him. Would have been a quicker way of saying that.
5: Um, <laughs> well, to, to go back to your to back to your original point of just offensive line and how this affects things moving forward. I mean, I, I agree with you guys on Melvin Gordon. I just it's I, I go for a two year window and Melvin Gordon's getting used. I don't care what he starts for carry is. Right. He helps me win championships. But we look at some of the offensive linemen, I mean Quentin Nelson going six to the Colts, that was a no brainer. I'm a Bears fan. I was hoping he was gonna fall. He didn't.
0: Oh man, Waylon, me out. too. God, I was so I was like, Oh my god, Quentin Nelson is still there. I mean, I'm I happy with who they got, but um with Rokon Smith. But anyway, anyway, we'll nothing
1: wrong with that.
5: Yeah, but that, I mean that yeah. helps. That helps luck, right? Stay upright. That That's helps nice. Marlon yeah. Mack. Or, the the Colts are going to take somebody at the top of the second round, and they're going to be yeah. really high in rookie drafts. You guys have kind of talked about that. Uh, we keep going on. Mike McGlinchey going to the the Forty Nine ers was a surprise, but that helps out everybody. You know what I mean? That's going to help out. I'm not a McKinnon fan, you know, but that's going to help out those <laughs> truthers. Yep. That's going to help out. Keep Jimmy G upright. Well. That makes a lot of sense. And you keep on going down the line. I mean, you guys talked about helping Joe Mixon. That Billy Price pick helps out AJ Green, Andy Dalton, John Ross. There is value there, by the way. I'm buying all over the place because he's like free or they're paying me to take him off the roster. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, for Frank uh, Ragnar going to the Lions, That. Is good there too? Helps out that whole offense. So I think that the thing is is not to think about just the running game, but to think about how it's going to help everybody. Because the more time Tom Brady has to stand upright, the better chance they had at winning that Super Bowl, you know, or you know, getting it to Tony michelle or whomever else. So yeah, I, I I liked the fit so far. The only one I didn't like is the one you guys talked about, Colton Miller. That was such a bad pick. It was that, that was that, that was. was
0: Second, I'm sorry. That was maybe the second surprise of the draft after after Sunny Michelle. That just seemed like such a reach for a guy that's such a project, right? I mean, it it, 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 it just seems really high for him.
4: Haven't we learned anything about just taking offensive tackles because they test well? I mean, how many? T- it's year after year. That you see these offensive tackles, and yeah, these teams are needy. But a good combine is not the the biggest measurement for these offensive tackles. But Going back to Colton Miller being a bad pick, I I don't understand the Hayden Hurst love, especially for like dynasty circles. Like, yeah, it's gonna be twenty five oh when the season starts, and it takes time for for tight ends to develop. If you're not Evan Ingram,
1: so I only just found out they took Hayden. No, I
4: I just <laughs> I don't I don't I don't understand that. Uh, so, uh, you we got Goddard. There? How do you not take Goddard? You're gonna take a tight end man we would have been excited about that first round capital for him or even well they know they moment. don't break
1: out until they're 26 or so, like let's
5: advance that. <laughs> i mean jake Be i'm better. not sure there's any take we don't agree on so far i one haydenhurst is about the same level of talent as everybody else. Right. And yeah. Baltimore, they took Max Williams. He didn't work out. They had so and, many names there. They they Max Williams taken, is. You name
2: any tight end they took.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's,
5: Max it's Williams is
4: younger than Hayden Hurst. <laughs> I
1: got Max Williams on rosters.
4: <laughs> uh, I mean, it's,
5: it's a terrible pick. It's a terrible Awful. pick. And 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 I disagree with Ozzie Newsome trading two seconds and a change of fourths for Lamar Jackson too. So Ozzie, way to go out with a bad bang, in my opinion.
4: <laughs> I, I, I kind of, I actually do like Lamar there. Uh, I was happy for him. I, I I do see. I I have problem with his with his feet with his footwork. His his base is so narrow when he throws, and you know that that wristy throwing motion that concerns me too. The ball can sail. Uh, but you can't deny for fantasy purposes, if he gets on the field, we saw it for Tyrod for years where his fantasy ceiling is so high because of that running ability. So I still like I still like Lamar Jackson and and although his floor is low, I think his ceiling is very high. For fantasy no, I, at least.
1: I'd say replace Flacco with him, you know. In 2018, to be but they have to paying
4: yeah, right? <laughs> him in the 20 months, yeah. In the they come years, so what do they yeah. do? Yeah,
2: yeah. let how about some opinions on DJ Moore going to the Panthers? Oh, I know God. that was a pretty heavily mocked pick, like as far as uh, you know, is it invaluable? His mock drafts are that uh, it seemed like this one was pretty accurate. I saw him going there uh, in, in quite a bit of like at least like you know, like Twitter fun. Uh, people choosing DJ Moore to go there. I was kind of, I feel, I just feel like they have built, you know, a, a group of a dozen slot guys now that they all that they all have in, in Carolina, and I just
4: don't know what they're going
6: to do
4: with them. I I love DJ Moore. I love him. He's my wide receiver one in this class. I don't think that's a great fit for him because where Cam Newton is very good is downfield, and I don't I don't think DJ Moore is that type of receiver. Um, I think he's a he's a yak guy. He's a guy to get to. I mean, he can get open short, to intermediate. I don't f- see him as a great deep threat. And like you said, I think he's going to be more of a slot rod receiver. And you're already using McCaffrey there, and you have some other slot receivers on that offense. I don't I don't love that landing spot as much as I like him as a player. Yeah, it's conflicting, especially on given it. the
3: draft capital they spent last year on uh, Curtis Samuel. You know, it's kind of a kind of a puzzling. And Devin Funchess is kind of like their, you know, quasi pseudo wide receiver one. So, yeah, I was a little bit um, I was a little bit puzzled by that pick, but that's my that's my in-state team. So, you know, I'm trying to be optimistic um, and, uh, you know, I I think that it'll be interesting to see how they deploy them and and how they plan to use them.
4: I think they should.
3: You know, felt highly enough.
4: I think they should have gone like a cornerback there in the first round. I don't. I just didn't like taking any wide receivers in the first round. I just I didn't see the value there. Yeah. And I think this it's it's deep class as as unsexy as it is. Uh, I just don't understand taking a wide receiver in the first round when you do have other needs. You have some um, offensive line needs and then secondary needs. I mean, defense you could always build that up. Um, so I think they could have gone a quarterback there. And I would have liked to see like a James Washington in the second round, somebody that can take the top off a defense that can win deep. You know. Hey
0: Peter, what what is your yeah. um like? You're doing your um your model. What, what does it say about um about DJ Moore? And what do you feel about the Carolina fit?
1: Yeah, I was uh, just looking that up actually, and being taken in the first round with nineteen. Uh, 19- uh, age nineteen, breakout age. Uh, DJ Moore has like a sixty-eight point eight percent chance of being in the top twenty-four in the first three years of his career. That's that's uh, how I broke it down for the um catch report I did. He's the most likely to succeed in this class based on how much he produced in college and when he produced it, which is a really key feature. As far as going to Carolina is, I. Felt a lot like Jake. I was like, it didn't seem like great value as much as I love more, and I like the fact the NFL just like put a stamp on. You just don't understand because you don't watch tape. Because uh, I've heard that a few times. It's like, well, the NFL watches plenty of tape, and they also think he's a receiver <laughs> one. So, um, yeah, I, I love the player as far as the situation goes. I've got this pet thing of. Everyone says he didn't do that in college, so he can't with running backs. But then when you mention about wide receivers, are like, no, no. He can only catch slot passes. It's like, well, Golden Tate, who you're comparing him to, was a deep threat in college. So can we just like accept that we don't know what DJ Moran is? He was on a terrible team. He was the most talented player on that team, and he was talented enough that they gave him 53% of opportunity, and he produces 53% of all uh, touchdowns and yards for that team in his last year so he was doing everything because no one else could do anything as well as he could do it that doesn't mean he he was uh just a slot receiver he just meant he was also the best slot receiver they had so they fed him those targets too i don't know that he can't go deep and i haven't said hey, that Peter?
5: yeah I, I I'm an anti DJ Moore hype guy here, so I have many questions on everything that you said. If we want to have a little bit of a debate here, Sorry. what is what is what is breakout age? I would love to know what early in his career he did that is breakout age before 2017. Sure, um, I have him as
1: breaking out at uh, age 19. What breakout ages is, is when you own 20 percent of a uh, team's um, touchdowns and yards so uh, it, it's a market in and of itself right so the team produces say a thousand yards in a season so that's the market and if a player produces 60 percent um, market share then he has 600 yards so he has 600 out of that thousand for the entire team Does that makes sense
5: yeah but you said breakout age is 20 yeah,
1: percent I- Yeah, when you own both uh, 20% of the combined touchdowns and yards. Um, And the earlier you do that, the earlier you have broken out. Um, To to, to walk on a a field at 18 years old against, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds with more experience and um, more, um, frankly, size and physical development and produce 20% of the team's touchdowns and yards is a remarkable feat to the point that um, whatever the NFL is using to uh, uh, evaluate um, wide receivers has also been reflected in breakout age, the point where pretty much anyone that breaks out at age 18, so has 20%, of, 20% or more of the team's yards and touchdowns, and gets drafted by round three. Almost no wide receiver that does that at age 18, gets drafted outside, um, outside of the third round. So the NFL is valuing something that's equating to breakout age as well. DJ Moore did it at age 19, um, which is the most common breakout age for successful or just in general wide receivers. So, get drafted. so
5: you're saying freshman year when you went 25 for 357-3 or in sophomore you went 41-6, 37-6? Because to me, either of those numbers aren't impressive at all. And I, and I know. Well, that's like, the thing that
1: um, you compare. Sorry, I'm talking. About I, know, I know you're
5: yeah. comparing to their overall passing stats. Yeah. I, I personally don't care about that. That's, I, I care about, you know, and then we want to look at this year and how people are excited about how he did in his combine. Yet one third of his yards and one half of his touchdowns came against FCS opponent Towson and Northwestern. And he, he accumulated 92 yards against Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio State, the only guys that were even worth a damn. So to me, like, I'm a film guy. I'm not a stats guy. But to me, I want to see you produce against some good teams or see you produce some really good stats over multiple years. And Moore didn't do that. And so when I hear people tout breakout age and market share, I want to see a guy that's produced for multiple years. I mean, Cortland Sutton has produced 31 touchdowns last three years and has been top 10, top 15 receiving yards the last two years. That's something that I want to see. Now, he's my wide receiver when I get that. You know, we want to talk about poor quarterback play. DJ Morris had poor quarterback play. But so was Calvin Ridley, Sutton, Auden Tate, even going down the list. So, to me, like, I don't – I just don't see him breaking out. You know, he averaged 12.9 yards per reception. It's really low. Wide receiver shooting, wide receiver screen.
1: Well, that's part of what market share does. It's meant to take the con- – it's meant to put it in context, right? I mean – uh, what's more impressive, catching 2,000 yards, an offense that literally had no competition, and so it threw for eight, these are fictional numbers, obviously 8,000 yards, or catching 100 yards when the offense was only able to manage, <coughs> sorry, only um, only able to muster 200 yards in total. To me, the fact that you are the wide receiver offense for that team is much more impressive. It means you're the most talented player on the field. Um, what I said when I wrote uh, this up it's um it doesn't really matter what sport you play. There's that player that everyone wants to have the ball when it really matters, right? There's just, you know, you look up, it really needs to go right. And so you look for that guy. And that's what market share is indicating. Players that have phenomenal market share are the ones that the coaches and everyone on the team know needs to have the ball when it matters. And if you're breaking out to the point that, um, well, to a 20% market share at age 18, which DJ Jamal didn't do, he did it at 19, um, or to his tune of 53% of yards in his final season, um, that's that guy for that team. He's just a phenomenal player within that context. And the reason I think it's valuable, especially over counting stats, is counting stats are predictive. You can catch 2,000 or or 3,000 yards in three years, and of the players that do that, you'll find a very low hit rate because accounting stats don't tell you that they're a good player because it's different context, like you're saying, different competition and also different success levels for that offense. But if you look at market share, it's actually predictive. The only thing that's more predictive of a wide receiver actually being successful in the NFL is draft capital. So, I mean, you can not like it, and I get that. I mean, it's weird talking percentages when we're talking about this most physical game, but... If you want to know who's more likely to be a top 24 wide receiver, the only thing that can predict that anywhere near as well as draft rounds, so opportunity, is market share. Hey, hey that's w- I value it. Hey, Will, and I've got a question for you.
0: So I, I'm not a film guy, right? But, but I watched you know, DJ Moore play in the Northwestern game. And to me, on tape, he looks pretty good. I know Northwestern is not this elite Big Ten defense, but you know, they're, they're still a Power 5 school. So you didn't like him on tape, is what you're saying, Nick?
5: I watched 11 of his games, and I think that he's terribly inconsistent. I think that he is not – he doesn't play up to his testing ability, which people are gaga over what he did in tights with no defense or pads on. Um, I think that his hands are inconsistent against Mike Hughes. He had a football go off his hands, then his helmet in the air. Mike Hughes housed it for 40 yards. I mean, that's the wide receiver. I mean, again, he's not a terrible player, but – ooh, DJ Moore, I, I don't see that. I don't see a guy that completely dominated. I see a guy that did well against Northwestern. They were a bad tackling team. But those three teams I listed were top 15 in pass yards allowed, and he got 92 yards in three games combined. I mean, that's the guy we're, we're oohing and eyeing about. And, and to me, that's an issue. And, and I think that the market share conversation also can be contributed to how well the other teams uh, – how the team is constructed. Are there any other good weapons – just but it doesn't back. work
1: out that way is one point. I, I, I mean over, I, I over the fight entire fight. the entire draft history of the NFL, that's not how it works. I mean it might feel that way, but that's not Ma- how Marquise
5: it works. Wilson had two one thousand yard seasons before he was twenty years old and he was drafted when. Sorry, who I, I
0: feel I feel a little bit like John Paul Hurley. And, and it's like a, like a Izzy Alkafas with the British accent versus Nick Wayne. Yeah, man. I
5: mean, <laughs> it's, it's cool. I mean, you, you can believe what no, you it is. Cool. Believe. It's great. I, mean, I love it. Uh, no, it's it's
1: I've, never <laughs> to, I've never actually been able to talk it out. So that's why my explanations are way too long winded. No,
0: no man. They're all, this is great because this is what it's all about. Right. Because I think Peter in your book, and I think we'd all agree that no matter like, you know, we could look at guys on film we can apply things like market share, like, you know, dominated writing, breakout age, whatever. You can take analytics and film. And still at the end of the day, no one has to stand to a science, right? Like no one no one can, has ever come out and like perfectly ranked these guys. So th- I think it's important to have this conversation because there's just so many factors, right? And we, and we just don't know at the end of the day. You know, analytics people don't have a perfect, film people don't have a perfect, so that's why these conversations are so important.
5: Uh, well, I, I mean, that comes down to injuries, that comes down to luck, that comes down yeah. to team usage, that comes down to work ethic, and no one can ever put that on there, but, I mean, to, to me, market share is flawed too. So cool. is film yeah. flawed, so yeah. was everything is flawed, you know, and, and we can believe what we want to believe, but there everything has a purpose. <clears throat> I mean, to me, the combine is something I don't care about, but I think everything you need to look at it with... If you're, if you're a, a stats guy, you're going to look at film somewhat. You're going to look at the Combine somewhat. And then if it, one of them is super out of line, you're like, well, wait a minute. I need to go back and look at stuff. And that's kind of what I see. I don't see more testing up to those abilities or those stats. So. No, that's anyways, the- we can we can leave that one go. But anyway,s I mean, I just don't see it. No, I, 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 really I, want I hate to talk this. about
1: it. I mean, I'm still holding <laughs> on to Leonte Carew and Tyler Boyd, so I want to know where the problems are <laughs> in market share because, like, it, it explodes on me all the time. It's just that it's had a better hit rate than anything else uh, apart from Draft friends. So I keep following it and trying to improve on it. Like, um, yeah. Anyway. Well, and, uh, and, and Trey, you
2: shared that article with us about the behavioral scientists in the NFL draft too. I think this plays a, a big part into when they they kind of looked at what teams draft well and what teams draft poorly. And one of the quotes, and I'll, I can let you speak on you uh, can speak on it as well because uh, I only read it once. But was uh, they they talked to teams, whereas they're like, okay, so if your draft board, like a whole team scouting department, like let's take. It's like a team that hasn't drafted so well. So let's take the Miami Dolphins uh, of all teams. And uh, this is the, – they weren't in the article. They didn't mention anybody specifically. But they're like the whole scouting department, management, coach, everybody. Like if you're, So if your draft board fell down or got erased, would you be able to recreate it? And the answer was distinctively no. And people got really irritated about the question about what good teams do. I think that's a good part of what we're even having with our conversation here is what teams value and what the consensus comes to. Is, uh, that's how that's how teams end up drafting that's how you end up having like people surprise us by quite a bit uh, in in a first round like this is the amount of minds that go into each nfl draft team is quite a bit it's just so many different opinions i don't know it's just, i thought it was a very interesting article and i wanted to mention it so trey if you wanted to speak on that at all
3: yeah i thought it was really one of the other things i thought that was really interesting is that um a lot of teams in their scouting department, even though they have 15 guys looking at players that they're all sharing their notes. And so, you know, they talked about, you know, guy number one looks at a player and then kind of discusses what he thinks right in front of guys, two, three, four, and five, who looked at the same player. And so there's this tendency to kind of agree with what guy number one said first, instead of kind of, you know, having their 10 or 15 scouts all look at the players and get feedback independently and, and, you know, what it was saying was that these teams, instead of getting, you know, six, eight, or 10 different perspectives, they're really getting like one and a half, you know, the, whatever the, kind of the common thoughts are on that particular player. Um, and, and so that's why I love getting feedback from, from guys, you know, like Nick, guys like Matt Waldman, who all have a different process, who all do things differently. It's so interesting. And, and I, I love being able to, digest from a from a dynasty perspective as a consumer you know i don't consider i mean we're the fantasy joes for a reason i don't consider i mean i'm a i'm a a nurse and and what i do is has nothing to do with football for me it's a hobby and you know kind of like nick says he spends the hours and hours and hours uh, digesting this stuff so that we don't have to so it's fascinating to me and and i think it's it bears out in the nfl that you know, you, you talk to 10 different NFL teams and, you know, they all have a different ranking of the quarterbacks, you know, in this year's or the running backs or the wide receivers. Um, and, and there's really some teams have been historically a little bit better at, at their draft selections. And then all of a sudden they have a, a stinker. And, and then there's some teams that have been pretty, pretty poor at their draft selections and then they'll get one, right? So it's just interesting to me. There's just so many factors that go into it. The transition from college to the NFL it's such a big transition. It's impossible to predict, you know. Just because a guy dominated at the college level, doesn't mean that he's going to do so at the NFL level, and, and vice versa. Just because a guy, you know, maybe maybe he did dominate, but but against inferior competition, um, yeah. sometimes all it takes is that opportunity. A la Kareem Hunt last year, right? Like, so <laughs> right. I, I think that it's it's just fascinating to me to have these discussions and, and hear different guys' perspectives. And what they're looking at um, taking into consideration a little bit of everybody, you know, the tape, the stats um, and, and draft capital landing spots. Um, it, it's a blast. It's, it's great. It's great to hear you guys and, and just interact with you guys about these prospects. And, and um, you yeah, know, obviously the draft night's just such a, a fun night for, for, for dynasty and, and just football fans in general.
5: You know, the, the one other thing with that, and one thing I struggle with cause I do the Debbie stuff is, you know, I see like what rivals rankings are, or see what these other rankings are and that how, how different that is from me. And, and then when you look at what these NFL teams are doing, you know, they're not constructing their teams for fantasy football purposes. You know, that's what we're doing. And they're, they're constructing them to win football games. And that's why people don't like a a John Ross, but John Ross's purpose isn't to outproduce AJ green. It's to add a new dynamic to their, their team. And I think that's the part where we have to take away, you know, maybe the draft position or the, uh, what what that role is going to be in that offense and how that can help affect our fantasy teams and things like that because it's not always a one to one it's not you know uh, Rashad Penny is a better football player maybe than guys right i'm not a big fan of guys it's Rashad Penny fits their scheme or you know things better than another player could
1: i think that's a really good point to make about this wide receiver class as well because it's everyone starts talking about these wide receivers with it's a weak class but And I get it, I understand why, because there's no Julio Jones in it. There is no Julio (laughs) Jones in the squad receiver (laughs) class. But there are at least six or seven guys who who have been incredibly successful at doing something that's not being Julio Jones, right? So in that way, it's a really strong class, like stronger than the last three years by far. It's just got a lot fewer uh, players in it who could possibly, if we squint, Maybe, possibly, be half of what Julio Jones is, which is what the last three years was. I think that's the difference. These guys are really good at something that we normally aren't looking for, <laughs> like John Ross. That's what made me think of it. See, there it is coming again. Jeez, He's coming guys. back. Come on,
2: it's coming <laughs> back. What well, was, purpose. <laughs> <That> was purposeful? <laughs> so I, I,
3: I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to get you guys predictions. So I just, I just read this tweet from Mike clay and it's pretty fascinating. So of the first eight picks in the second round, right. First eight picks of the second round, the Browns and Colts, which I'm not convinced the Browns take a running back. Everybody's saying that they, they might and and they might, but the Browns have two picks. The Colts have two picks. The bucks have a pick and the Broncos have a pick. And I think that, you know, the the Colts bucks and Broncos certainly. So, uh, and with, with, with Geis, Chubb, ronald jones whether you love him or not uh, do you think that we see a little bit of a, a a running back run early on in the second round to start the draft tomorrow night
4: i would be surprised that early even even i'm a huge fan of chubb i, I don't i don't see him going in the in the top half of the second round um i do expect Geiss to go in those top 10 picks there um as long, I mean, that's th- that's another thing. We don't we don't un- know what's going on with his supposed off the field issues, and obviously there there are some bigger issues than uh, what everyone has been thinking there are. And I've I've kind of been with Nick a little bit, maybe not quite as much. Where I do have some concerns about guys, and for me it's it's more health related than maybe anything else of my concerns. But I don't see a big run going on uh, early tomorrow.
2: Yeah, Trey, There's some good talent left.
4: Yeah,
0: go, I was just going to say, I, I think these teams have, have pretty big needs and, and I don't know that running back is going to be among them. And we don't know with guys with with character issues. Also, with Nick Chubb, the medical, we don't really know what teams found out at the combine. So what if there are some serious issues with Nick Chubb? He could slip real late. We, we really have no idea. So yeah, it, it will certainly be interesting. And I uh, you know. But we'll we'll find out, right? I, I think it's a good question.
3: I just found it interesting that you have those two running backs go. I would have never thought that Penny and Michelle were going to go in the last five or six picks of the first round. So you know, I, I, that's that's the only that's the only thing that kind of triggered the thought for me is you've now had three. You know, obviously Saquon early, but then you've had so you've had, you got three running backs off the board. So these some of these teams that have multiple picks early and and big needs, um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, but you're right; they do have some some holes.
1: Do you think this is an... Uh, I don't know. I, I've heard people go both ways with it. Um, um, is this an indictment of the players? Like, some people describe when players fall as um, or not go in the first round, as it were, that they are obviously have evaluated to be lower than what we thought they were from the outside. And other times, like... Um, uh, Nick was just saying there that um, it's more about the teams don't need them at that value. Uh, they'd rather let them fall. They still think they're that talented, but they're not as important right now. And um, which, which way do you guys go with that? Is these players not as good as we thought or, and um, they're just not as important as we thought. Cause that really goes to the heart of the question. I think Peter,
0: let's ask Paul Perdikizi, who just joined us uh host of the Saturday to Sunday uh, podcast. Paul was doing a podcast earlier, so he just joined us. And and, and Paul, you know, did his draft board, his predictions. So, Paul, what, what do you think, to, to Peter's question about that, about these guys that have slipped?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, it's a couple things. Sometimes it's some medical things that we don't know about. Other times it's just scheme and fit. I don't think it speaks too much. I think if guys come off early on day two, that there's not that much difference between going in the twenties or going, you know, early part of day two. So, am I surprised that Darius Geis is on the board still, and you know, Sony Michelle and Rashard Penny were taken already? Yeah, I am. I'm a little bit surprised there. But if Geis comes off the board early, you know, in day two, I don't think it's that much of an indictment about who he is and his game. You know, I think you know every team, in in terms of what they're looking for, uh, is slightly different. So, I don't really think that. In terms of the wide receivers, I kind of expected two to come off the board tonight, so I didn't really expect us to have any more. I think there's going to be a big, big run on wide receivers uh, in rounds two and round three. I think we could have as many as nine or 10 taken tomorrow, so I don't think any of those guys are really that stunning that they didn't come off the board. I only thought Hayden Hurst was going to come off the board at tight end, so I think Goddard and Gaseki were more early second round picks, and then, you know, so I don't think, I don't really think it's an indictment on the players. I just think sometimes, you know, we may we may push up a little bit the offensive guys, you know, because we followed them so closely for fantasy, and yeah. we're trying to find landing spots for these guys, but I do think there's a lot of depth at the wide receiver position, and some teams were holding back there, and even at the running back position, but we did get three in, in, in round one, which kind of speaks volumes that we continue to have a a grow tier in terms of teams value in the running back position again, because for a while round one running backs were rare. And now all of a sudden after year after year, we're getting a whole bunch in in round ones.
2: Also, uh, I think it's worth noting Paul that I I pulled up your uh, premium content sheet about your projected top 32 players, 28 to 32 tonight. How does that feel?
6: Yeah, I mean it was it was kind of exciting. I mean the, the Edmonds one and and Penny really were the two that threw me for a loop. I mean Michelle and, and Billy Price were right there on uh my just missed. So it wasn't I wasn't surprised. I thought it was very plausible that either of those two could go, but Edmonds and Rashard Penny were the the ones that kind of surprised me. Uh, I think the guy that probably I'm most surprised is still on the board. You know, I know we're most talking offensive skill players, but the guy who I thought was definitely going to go tonight, maybe two guys, was uh, Harold Landry and then Will Hernandez. I'm surprised that bolted Emmer on the board. Uh, James Daniels a little bit less, but once Billy Price and Frank Ragnow moved up, I wasn't going to be as surprised if Daniels was there, but I thought Hernandez and Landry were locks to go in round one. So uh, we'll see. It's it's fun following this. We'll see how many uh, after tomorrow night out of the top 100 There's always a lot of surprise, especially in the mid to late part of round three. Uh, but it's it's a fun task to kind of to kind of lay it out.
0: So, but, Paul, you're you're a Giants fan. Who do the Giants take? Uh, you know, after Cleveland picks in round two, what's your prediction?
6: Uh, I, I would be stunned if the pick is not an offensive lineman. I'll give you four names. I mentioned James Daniels and Will Hernandez, uh, Connor Williams, the tackle guard out of Texas and keep an eye on it. if I was going to make a pick, I would either say it's Will Hernandez or <laughs> Austin Corbett out of Nevada. I think it's going to be one of those two picks.
0: Uh, awesome. Um, what do you think about Saquon Barkley? You know, we've got, we've got our, our giants fan here at, uh, at number two. I mean I mean we we I can't think we're thinking that maybe from a football point of view wasn't the smartest pick for the Giants are are you how do you feel about that as a Giants fan
6: so I've been preparing myself for this for a while again <laughs> if it was just if it was what I would do is I would have liked them to pick a franchise quarterback a guy who could be the heir to Eli because we we know it's the most important position but when you really looked at these position, there was flaws in all of these quarterbacks. I mean, I personally had Josh Rosen at number one. I think the Cardinals got the steal of the entire first round, bar none, uh, by by moving up and barely giving up anything to get him. So I would have been happy with him. I would have been happy with Darnold. But you you look at Rosen, there's the durability concerns from some of his injuries, the character, how would he how he how would he play in New York? Darnold, I thought was best suited to handle New York, but. The turnovers is is a concern there. Uh, Also, picking a quarterback at two, it was going to create a little bit of an awkward situation here uh, with Eli. If the Giants got off to a slow start, people were going to want the rookie. Were they going to bench Eli after last year's – the way that kind of happened? So I kind of sorted the writing on the wall that they were potentially not going to go quarterback, even though that would have been my preference. With that said, I completely – okay with the fact that they went Barkley over, say, Bradley, or anybody else. I wasn't a fan of Leonard Fournette going four last year. I wasn't even a fan of Ezekiel Elliott going the year before. I thought Jalen Ramsey should have been the pick, but I do think Saquon Barkley is in a different level of those guys. I think he's a a a, a transcendent talent, and he, to me, is much more on the Ladanian Tomlinson, uh, Todd Gurley from this year, Marshall Falk, where he totally transforms an offense that the mismatches he's going to cause with Beckham being double teamed, Evan Ingram and Barkley. I'm not sure how defenses can account for all of that. So I think the immediate impact he's going to have is tremendous. Mike Clay, who does a great job doing projections, earlier in the day had put out a tweet saying that if he went to the Giants, he projected him for, I think it was approximately 1,100 rushing yards or 1,150 and like 563 receiving yards. Uh, he had seven rushing touchdowns, three you know receiving touchdowns, and like 60 receptions. I mean, that would, that would be a a monster statistical season and it's not even going, Mm -hmm. I don't think completely out of unrealistic expectations. Like 1100 yards is not a lot when you start breaking it down by games that if he gets 1700 yards, 10 touchdowns, I mean, that's going to be a massive impact in fantasy. And in the real world, I do think he's a guy that you can build an offense around because he's a playmaker. No one would be complaining if an elite wide receiver went. We've seen elite wide receivers like Julio Jones and other guys go in the top 10. I think people got to get away from looking at Barkley. He's not a traditional run between the tackles, 25 carries a game guy. He's an offensive weapon that could impact the game in a variety of ways and be as electric a weapon as an Odell or an Antonio Brown you know, or Julio Jones. It's just that he's listed as a running back. So I do think that he could have a big impact on the team. Would I have preferred a quarterback? Yeah, but it's going to be hard to argue with the guy who most considered the best player in the draft.
2: He was my like running back six or seven. I can't really remember. <laughs> 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 <Just kidding. laughs> with the Joes here, so I just put up a dartboard, and I'm not very good at darts. So kind of like a crapshoot. He's actually Akram Wadley from Iowa. So RB1 from no. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very. I think for for fantasy reasons and for people who had the one on one who were going to take Saquon anyway, they should be a little more stoked. Like they're going into an offense that has a creative uh mind going into it. I do have I do have a question. Thinking about the Browns and taking Baker Mayfield, and I I, I mentioned this to the other guys at the Joes uh, earlier in the day. Is a so one. I don't think a lot of people expect Hugh Jackson to be back in Cleveland next year. I, am I wrong in assuming this with you guys? Keep. Like, most Hope likely, <laughs> like, 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 overall, like, uh, have you looked at it all at anybody who
3: might take his place? The only thing, the only reason I could see Hugh Jackson surviving is bringing in Todd Haley as offensive coordinator. Um, and and I think that it would be hard. Let's say that they do turn a corner, like Nick was talking about earlier. Let's say that they find a way to go seven and nine or even eight and eight this year. I feel like it would be hard for them as a franchise to fire Hugh Jackson after having that kind of success, I, but it's funny because I thought the same thing. Um, and when you mentioned that earlier today, I thought, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'm curious to kind of get see what what these other guys have to say about it. But I, I thought, you know, with all the talent they brought in and, um, you know, if they do see a, an increase, a significant increase in their record next year, I think it may be hard for them to get rid of them. And, and I really do like the hiring of Todd Haley as their offensive coordinator. I think that, that he is, um, Got a lot of talent to work with now as well, so
1: it might be. Um, I don't know, I don't do coaching uh so much, but it might be easier if uh Haley gets all the credit next year and they can just elevate him and get rid of Hugh that way. That'd be my thought.
5: I mean, I I don't think we never know what they're gonna do. I mean, Marty Schottenheimer got fired after doing 14 and two, you know what I mean? It's, (laughs) I think it's kind of up to that GM. It's kind of up to how that chemistry is too behind the scenes. But I mean, if they go seven and nine, I mean, coaches have been fired for going seven and nine before. I think it's a little bit of how, you know, part of its record and part of it's how good are they developing players? You know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think with all these young guys there, if he can't groom Mayfield, if he can't groom, I mean, like you said, there's going to be two of the next three picks picture in Cleveland, and man, as, as Paul was saying, there's some great talent up there. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm looking at this as a bear. So I'm like, man, they better get some one of these interior offensive linemen. Um, but you know, if he, if they can't, if you can't develop them, then I think you let them go and you find someone else that can groom them because they have such an opportunity in Cleveland right now that I think you don't you don't harness that because of what it's going to look like on the outside. You worry about your team in the future the most. Oh, yeah, me- you fall, <laughs> Trey? Are you okay, hey, my my? Yeah,
3: yeah. Just, no. just my iPad fell.
6: Yeah. Hey, by the way, Paul, Missy, man, we haven't done this. It's been too long. I know. Absolutely. Uh, Just to jump in there, two names that I would keep an eye on, because I do think Hugh Jackson will be fired. I just just think he will be. Uh, I'm not sure why they didn't do it already, to be frankly honest with you. Uh, Two creative offensive minds that were getting some head coaching buzz this offseason, who I think if they have successful years, could be guys that Cleveland looks to, to kind of bring in there and kind of build the offense there with Mayfield. One is uh, Matt LaFleur, who worked with Sean McAvey in Los Angeles, and now is became the offensive coordinator for Tennessee. And I think a lot of Tennessee fans are hoping that he's kind of the savior there to get that offensive, you know, ship righted and kind of get the best out of Mariota really young guy, uh, creative mind again, working with McAvee kind of that young breed. And then also John Filippo, who was the quarterback coach for the Eagles and, got a lot of credit for helping develop Wentz is now the offense coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. So I think those are two guys who are right now two of the hotter, maybe offensive uh, coordinators and on the younger side who, might be looked at as guys who can come in and kind of really create an offense catered to the skill sets. Because that's my biggest concern is like, you know, I I like Mayfield, the player. I really do. But I do think you got to be a little bit creative in the offense you're willing to run and kind of find ways to maximize Baker's skill set, similar to what McAvee did with Goff this year and stuff like that. So I do think there's going to be a change by next year. Like Nick was saying. You know they can go eight and eight, and that still might not stop them if they think, uh, you know that there's a better guy to come in and get them over the hump. I mean, we've seen we've seen guys get fired, you know, for for doing for doing better than eight and eight. And as much as I think they are going to improve this year, I still think you know seven eight is probably where they end up. Uh, I don't know if you guys talked about it before. I I jumped on. Were you guys talking at all about how quickly you think Mayfield's gonna take the reins? Because I think it's gonna be sooner than later. I mean, that Tyrod Taylor starting the whole year thing—that that's gone. That's nonsense now.
0: Yeah, yeah, we did talk about that, Paul, and I think consensus was that he was gonna start sooner rather than later for sure.
2: When the last time a coach uh, led them with the move winning record right, it was Pat Shermer, right? And they let they made they made him leave.
6: <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. So, I mean. Good, good, good luck, you, you Jackson. I wish you. I mean, you never want to see somebody leave, but it would be fun to see kind of what ends up happening there. But maybe Todd Haley totally turns it writes that shit. It doesn't feel like uh, Todd Haley fits the mold, or uh, sorry, Baker Mayfield fits the mold of what Todd Haley was maybe looking for. But you know, I'm not, I'm not smart enough, and I haven't been involved in the NFL enough, uh, which would be zero to to speculate like wisely on what exactly would be happening there. You know, maybe. Ah, uh, like, I want Baker Mayfield, and this is my choice. and they just go out there and they crush it and it, the the whole uh, offense turns around. but to me in in my history and playing fan the, the, like really inspective fantasy is, and I, I just i'm I'm done trusting the Browns with anything. I'm just basically out on them
0: so guys we're we're getting pretty late in the night, so I'm gonna do two things. I want to go one by one and any like final thoughts or takeaways from day one of the NFL draft and then we're gonna do um hot bold spicy takes for day 2. So uh, like like if I look at my screen I got I got Jake first. So Jake, what's your like major takeaway from from day 1 of the NFL draft?
4: Oh boy. Uh, I don't I honestly I don't know where to start. I I would probably say it was it was it was probably Josh Rosen uh falling a little bit and then going to the Cardinals. Uh we we talked about it. I think it's I think it's a decent landing spot. I don't know if it was the best landing spot. I I think we all would have liked to see him in, uh, in the Giants uniform next year or in a couple of years. Uh, but that's probably my takeaway. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Josh Rosen. And, uh, yeah, I was glad to see him eventually get picked after he slid a little bit.
0: Yeah, good, good call, Jake. Um, l- let's go to Trey Barrett, who is next on my, on my screen.
3: I think for me the biggest takeaway was the, the two quarterbacks that for me were my, were my favorites from a fantasy perspective being bookends on the, the first round of the draft, the Baker Mayfield going to the Browns, which I'm very excited about and, and talked about that earlier. And then um, Lamar Jackson, you know, sneaking in to the first round there at the end by the Ravens, who now have, uh, you know, two Heisman winning quarterbacks and Joe Flacco in the quarterback room. So I, I'm excited. I think, I think Lamar Jackson. I think he has some incredible potential. I really... I think that he's got a year to sit behind Joe Flacco. And I think is – is Marty Morningway, the offensive coordinator there, if I remember correctly? Um, I, the opportunity to sit behind Joe Flacco for a year for Lamar Jackson I think will be huge. I think that he, he can work on some of his deficiencies. And I think that from a fantasy perspective, I don't, I don't know how things will turn out for him from an NFL perspective, but with the athleticism and the running – I'm really, really excited about what he can do uh, from a fantasy perspective as a a, kind of a long-term investment. So that was exciting for me to see that those are the, those are the two guys I'm most excited about the quarterback position for fantasy.
0: So next Nick Whalen, who is not excited about Lamar Jackson. (laughs) Um,
5: I think, you know what I I like the most about this? And, And if we really just think about it, you know, whether we like a player or not like a player, you know, this is just exciting for all these young men to live that dream. You know, you get drafted and you're in the NFL and fan bases are excited because you got new players. And in the end, it's just excitement. I mean, th- this is what we enjoy, you know, and then, then we'll have, you know, endless months to debate. Good, bad, you know, the, the draft grades after this are just trash anyway. But I think we should just kind of revel in that moment of, of it's exciting for them. The other thing is this is incredibly humbling, right, to show that we really don't know a lot. We don't know where they're going to pick. It could go one way. It could go another way. You know, we had a kicker draft in the second round a couple years ago. So, you know, I think it's a little humbling, too, because everyone's (laughs) so convinced who the number one pick is and so convinced this team's not going to get this position, and we just never know. So I think it's kind of humbling for us to, you know, be like, well, we don't really know. We're just kind of guessing at this. But I think we should just be excited overall in terms of tomorrow. You know, I think we really don't know what's going to go on with our fantasy rookie drafts until tomorrow happens, because I think a lot of those guys in day two were going to jump up ahead of you know other guys. And something that was really interesting from um, JJ Zacharias was there was this study done about how what we um, what we already think right, and we had our debate about on on uh, stats and, and film, but what we already think about a player is generally kind of where we already sit. So it's going to be really interesting for people to see if they really do flip players in rankings due to situations, because it's really hard for people to kind of overcome that already, uh, that bias that they already have. Because I mean, right now is penny the one Oh two for some people. Yeah. Lots of people are going to say no, and we'll see where Geis and Chubb and Sutton, all these guys go. So uh, tomorrow's going to be exciting. We'll we'll, we'll know where we're at rookie draft wise after tomorrow.
0: Well said, Nick uh, Peter Howard. Wh- wh- what do you think? Uh, major takeaway from day one of the NFL draft?
1: I don't know. Um, As an event, um, I'm struck by uh, how much my fantasy uh, jokes and uh, hot takes are uh, are such a facade because watching uh, watching the Bills trade up to get Josh Allen, uh, how quickly the jokes fade away for me about the fact that he's a terrible fake and that they shouldn't have done it, uh, meld quickly into, I really hope I'm wrong. Because <laughs> Buffalo suffered just problem after problem and Josh Allen seems like a, a fantastic kid. I guess I can call him a kid at this point. I'm in my 30s. Um, who's worked really hard, probably worked harder at this game than I will work at anything in my life. And <laughs> I work really hard. <laughs> so all of it melts away and I'm just God, I hope we're all wrong because Buffalo needs it. Buffalo fans who just live and breathe their team need it. And this kid has worked hard enough that he deserves for us to be wrong. And um, watching the draft, it's always uh, <laughs> how quickly the you know the, the fantasy aspect of it melts away from me. I just want them all to succeed. Um, and as for fantasy, it's got to be that um, DJ Moore is, in fact, the wide receiver one. And if the NFL, who is a big fan of tape, says so, I, I think we can just accept that.
2: So let's go to Paul Partikizi, who is uh, actually. So we're, we're going like a good silence after Peter. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we have to have like five or six sets of
1: silence. You all got together on plan. No, we
0: got <laughs> we got to go to Paul, who, who is actually a. He kind of likes Josh Allen, right, Paul? So uh, let, let's let's go to you. You don't have to talk about Josh Allen, but.
6: That's yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll just say I'll just say one quick thing about Josh Allen like I, I've been a guy who I believe he should go top ten. I I see the skill sets and the traits that make him worthy of that selection. I do think Buffalo is not an ideal landing spot because I feel like he's going to be rushed on the field because AJ McCarron is not very good and they don't have many skill players at the wide receiver position and their O line is terrible. So I I don't think it was an ideal landing spot and I think Buffalo is really going to have to resist getting him on the field too soon. But I do think he was worth of a top ten pick. Uh, in terms of other big thing that stood out for me is I really love the Calvin Ridley landing spot. I think some people aren't because they want every guy to go to, to a spot where he's the ideal number one. But I think in reality, he's not a number one. I don't think there's a number one in this draft class, to be honest with you. I think Cortland Suns the only one that even has the capabilities if he pans out to be a true number one, if you are, are looking for a guy like you know, in the mold of a Mike Evans or, or somebody like that. But what I do think Calvin really is, I think he's the best route runner in this draft class. I think he his floor, I think, is Stefan Diggs. And now I think he goes in a landing spot where Julio Jones is gonna dominate the defensive attention. He's gonna be the guy that gets the number one defensive back on him. He's gonna be the guy that draws double teams. He's gonna be the guy that defensive coordinators scheme game plans around, which means Ridley is gonna be matched up with second or third corners. He's he's not gonna be the focus of attention. And I think he could I think he could have I, I think this year, I would say. Feel extremely confident that Cal- Calvin really outperforms DJ Moore, who I I question his fantasy upside. To be honest with you, in Carolina's offense, because they wrote 75 passes to Christian McCaffrey, Greg Olson catches 60 to 70 passes, Devin Funches is not going to go away, and they're not this prolific offense that really could sustain you know four viable you know offensive pass catchers. So. I like Where's DJ yeah. he maybe, maybe he has the upside, but I, I think Calvin really is going to produce him this year. Uh, and I, I like, I like the landing spot for Calvin Ridley a lot. And I think a lot of people maybe are a little bit down on it, but I think it's a, a perfect landing spot for him. And I think he's going to have, he's going to be, I think immediately produced more than maybe any other wide receiver, even ones that go tomorrow.
0: All right. Wow. So you just said floor for Calvin Ridley is Stefan Diggs, All right. Right? Yes. All right. interesting. You
6: know one thing
5: I thought of, Paul, with that, though, I, I just came to me, is this is a little uh, just, I don't know, interesting when you compare Roddy White's end of his career, they bring in a Julio, which kind of helped, I think, Roddy stay at that level because less attention, and Ridley could do that for Julio.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, they... They lost Gabriel, which was that guy who, who could stretch the field vertically, also, and and Ridley obviously has that in his you know basket of tools. There, I mean, he, I think he ran like a four four two at the combine. Uh, I, I just think Ridley's being very undervalued because Alabama had horrendous quarterback play. Honestly, like I think if he played in Maryland, I think. Calvin released, stats would have been better or the same as DJ Moore, or if he played anywhere where there was a competent quarterback play and was the focal point of the offense, he just wasn't the focal point of the Alabama offense. It was all about the run game and play good defense and they didn't play in shootouts. And I, and again, the, I know I'm I'm on an island. I don't care about the age thing at all. I, I I know I'm I'm a little bit on a fantasy island on that one. Like that's why Hayden Hurst was my number one tight end because I didn't care about the twenty-five. I just I just don't. I'm not worried about eight years down the line. The only thing I worry I worry about six to eight years and anything after that is gravy, uh, besides maybe at the quarterback position. So I, I don't worry that Calvin really is twenty three years old. I just don't.
3: Can
1: I just? I know you're trying to get out here, and I keep interrupting people because I'm excited to talk to people. And no, Peter, there's the there's there's the no
0: rush. No, 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 because I want to I want to get to like some some bold predictions for day two. So no, we're we're good. I poor Trey Barrett is dying on the other end. He managed. To
2: <laughs> <be awesome. laughs> I mean, we <laughs> are good, man. Just just man. We're we're good right, sure I'm pretty Trey. sure Trey. all I'm the last on Ryan's computer. So it's, it's, it's yeah. yeah, no, Peter, Yeah, go ahead.
1: I gotta disagree a little bit. I'm really for a start. I, I can't speak for everyone, but the age problem with Ridley isn't that he's 23. Some people do judge it by the age people enter into the NFL season, which is slightly predictive as well. But that's not my problem at all with Ridley. I don't have a problem with this guy, obviously. <laughs> that sounds wrong. But it's the fact that there's, there's this big black hole in his profile and that he didn't play at age 18, 19, um, or 20, right? Uh did so you play he, it 20? Keep, and so keep, and those are the most important years as far as evaluating what he can do when he doesn't have the advantage of his uh, of being more mature, having more time and more experience. That's why it. That's why I think breakout age and the age at which you have production is predictive. And this isn't me. This is like everything I do is an extension. I should have mentioned this a long time ago. Of like, um, Frank Dupont and also Sean Siegel, and then um, also uh. uh uh, John Moore, all working on Rotoviz, have done a lot more work on this, and I'm just piggybacking on really smart people's ideas here, you understand? But um, so that's the problem for me, Ridley's problem. It's not that he's 23; it's that there's his big black hole. He did well at age 20, 21, and 22, when really he should do well in college as a fairly talented wide receiver that was uh, recruited into a, a, a good, uh, well, good uh, in um bunny rabbit is quotes um and as far as his production goes as far as his production's fantastic at the ages that he played i i, I don't think anyone uh, maybe they do but from my point my problem with him isn't that he had low production he had a fantastically high production he had 29 percent of the team's receptions in his first year and 30 percent of the the team's yards now my it's when I read into that one that big black hole, and that I don't know how good he is without the advantage of his age and experience, and then the fact that he's producing barely, uh, barely more yards, and he's getting receptions. Um, he's producing basically what he's been given um, from a market share perspective, and then in his second year, he's outproduced by Darius Stewart, who you know just entered the NFL and took it on by storm because he's such a fantastic <laughs> wide receiver. And he did better in his last year than Calvin Ridley when they're on the field, and he'd been given he was given 24% of the receptions, and he couldn't outperform um, Stewart uh, in yards or touchdowns for that matter. And then Stewart leaves, and there's no other wide receiver on the field that catches more than 300 yards. There's literally no competition, and he still barely outperforms the receptions he gets in terms of yards. And I know that you know he looks he's doing fantastic things on the field. And and there are successful wide receivers. A.J. Green is a great example um, of uh, wide receivers that don't produce till they're 20 and then do fantastic in the NFL. It's not that he doesn't have good production. It's not that he's old. It's that the thing that is most indicative of whether he's actually more capable or less capable of an average successful NFL receiver is just missing from his profile and the production he did have, while above average, there's big questions in it. There's like no competition, can still barely break over his receptions. Um, and I think I already said all of that. So, yeah, that's, yeah, it's not that he's old. It's that we don't know what he is when he's not old. <laughs> well,
2: so one of the, the things we, we've we talked about a little bit in the past and trying to look into it, and, and Ryan, I'm, I'm – Gonna try to reference that article as best I possibly can. Is uh, Ridley just had a really, tr- a really, really tough childhood? So he came to Alabama as a true freshman. He was turning twenty. He had to set out part of his senior year of high school as far as playing football, but he went three years in in college. So the way the NFL works and the way it's it's kind of like uh, one of the things that it, uh, it's a really messed up system because the way that uh, Calvin Ridley's life went he couldn't enter college any sooner than he did and he entered it as an as older and the way the nfl works is he had to stay in college for three years so his breakout age in college i, I get that he couldn't do it any faster than what he he did like he literally couldn't have gone as a recruit to a school any faster than whatever you know the the, the whole way it goes And i get that it's un, kind of unprecedented and but he's not a redshirt junior. He's not a medical redshirt. He's not a transfer. It's
1: he's not unprecedented college. as a thing. I mean, it happens. Sure. And it normally doesn't work out well. There's not.
0: There's yeah, never. I, I there's
2: I, never been a, a first-round wide receiver pick that's had
1: had AJ to sit out part of his senior year of high school. AJ Green's first year was when he was 20. I'm pretty sure. I could yeah. be wrong about that, but from memory, I think he was one of the examples that came up when I was looking at it. And again, I'm not laying out on his feet. He hasn't done anything wrong when he was on the field. He did really well. That's the thing. He did well. It's just, we don't know what he is before that, uh, through no fault of his own. And then um, the way I go with this is I don't know what story explains that away in a way that I can't care about it. Cause there are other receivers and all of them have either had tough childhoods or fantastic childhoods and got an injury or, um, I don't want to say this guy's story exempts him from it, because that's, to me, that's an insult to all the other receivers who didn't make it, as if their story wasn't good enough to explain away the fact that they didn't. I mean, I'm not laying it on them. He did everything he could possibly do in college, and that's how I wrote him up. I said, his profile's good. It's just got this big black hole, like I say, where we don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, and
2: I think that speaks to a good part of it. But like uh like like Sony Michelle is only two months like younger than or like what like one and a half, two or months younger than, than Calvin Ridley. Nobody's talked about that the entire time. And he, you know, uses recruitment to high school to get his parents jobs and things like that. It's just uh these these athletes that are like grow up in different different like lifestyles and they get recruited by these prep schools for for, for high school. It's so big in the States now where who, and he yeah, I, I guess at the end of the day is where I'm going with this is saying, uh Ridley was only he could only progress his uh, high school like education in the way he lived as far as fast he possibly could until going to college, and he didn't take like a year off to you know to do anything else.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, like uh, you know what I mean? Like
2: so my, <laughs> so my question like like breakout age is my question uh, my thing and I've thought about this I don't and I would love to do the the research on it, uh, but it's a uh, it's like breakout year. Like is it is it true freshman? Is it is a redshirt freshman? Is it true sophomore? You know, like versus age when you're when you're coming into a school? Is it your first year there? Is it your second year there? I don't know. It's always just a curiosity to me because that yeah, would factor a little bit of like you know where you came from.
1: Right. Um, yeah. I, I've tried it by um, like you're saying, doing it by the year, by freshman, sophomore, redshirt freshman, and it's just not as um, it, it doesn't predict as well it's not as valuable and by age is far more useful and i think that's because you know no matter what you call a person they are at a certain level of literally physical development at certain ages much more than they are than the title that's put on the year that's my story for why it works better
3: hey well we, I,
0: i'm sorry peter we, we we gotta we gotta we gotta <laughs> move it along well so give me give us your, your takeaway from from night one
2: Oh yeah, uh one waiting for a draft picks is truly boring. <laughs> I think it's it's so it's like it's uh, uh oh hey, the picks coming in. Let me wait 5 more minutes for the 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 draft pick to actually, you know, be announced on TV. Uh cuz I caught I, I think I came back home and, like pick 10 and just to wait through all that. It's a, it's a, I love the the draft and what it means and how in analyzing it for fantasy, but in general like the first round uh, it's a uh, a lot of it, a lot of it it's kind of a snooze fest, kind of a snooze fest in between uh, but it is fun to to have something to, something to talk about again uh, with wow. fantasy football uh, number two is I realized that I just don't as it, much as I've looked at you know you know players and done analysis on anybody else but it's not fantasy relevant it's just how little I know about what people are actually gonna do and you can kind of guess a little bit but it's it's been a, it was a really fun first round but uh, if you would have, if I would have been betting, you know, like, like, you know, $20,000, it had to one way or the other. Was Rashad Pennington in the first round? My answer would be 100% no. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just always, I don't know. It's, a, it's such a great perspective on just how wrong we are all the time in trying to guess these picks. And it, it, it's still fun though. I, I did enjoy it. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, except for the waiting in between.
0: Fair enough. So, so my takeaway from the first round so I joined my first IDP league guys. So the Joe's know about this and I, I don't know anything about IDP. So I've been uh, DMing Tom Kislingberry, who does the read and react podcast, one of the co-hosts of that podcast. And I asked him about Roquan Smith because I'm a bears fan as is, as is Nick Whalen. And I said, so where does Roquan Smith go in rookie drafts? And he says, you know he might be 90% of those drafts, like one of the top picks in rookie drafts because linebackers, you know, go high in IDP leagues. So that's my takeaway. Rookon Smith, IDP players, your number
2: one rookie pick.
0: Go get him. Um, <laughs>
2: shocking, <laughs> all right, so shocking the Bears defensive player. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, hey, you know, it's a takeaway. It's, uh, you know, let's appeal to the IDP listeners, the you know, the two that we have out there. Um, so let's do our bold, you know, hot, bold, spicy picks for round two. So uh, loyal listeners will know that during the season we do whole hot, bold, spicy takes, right? So there are five levels, guys, five levels. There's banana pepper, there's jalapeno, habanero, ghost pepper, and the almighty Carolina Reaper. So we're going to start with Jake. Jake Anderson, what's your hot, bold, spicy take for day two of the NFL draft?
4: Oh, man, it's late. Uh, I have to get up in the, <laughs> early in the morning. I'm probably going to stick to like a banana pepper level so I don't get any indigestion. Uh, my prediction prediction for, for tomorrow is, um, and I'm ex- more excited about right it now, but I have this feeling that Arizona is going to take Christian Kirk tomorrow. He's from Arizona. Uh, I love to see him learn from Larry Fitz before he retires and hangs him up. And now, especially with my quarterback one there, I think that would be a nice marriage for him. So that's my hot take. I got to get out of here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Great to see you guys. Great chatting with you guys. Always loved learning from all you guys. So uh, we'll have to do it again sometime.
2: Thanks for hopping on, Jake.
4: Thanks, Bye Jake. Night, yeah, we appreciate man. it. Thanks for, thanks thanks for have a good night, guys. Yeah, you That's too. So
0: Trey. To. so Trey Barrett, who's about to drop off. Trey, what's your hot, <laughs> spice cake for day two of the NFL draft?
3: Um, So this probably is, you know, like Jake, probably not, you know, incredibly spicy, um, but I think that um, – I think that Nick Chubb is going to uh, be selected before Darius Guy. I think the Darius Guy slide continues. And I think that Nick Chubb comes off the board within the first six, six picks of the second round. I think Ooh. that he's going to go early. I'm a, I'm a big fan, and I, I think that he comes off the board early, early, second round.
2: first six picks would be uh, Browns, Giants, Browns, Colts, Colts, Buccaneers. I can see, yeah. I can see it happening. I can see
6: it happening. Yeah, a lot of running back needy teams there.
3: I would love to see him go to the Colts. That would make me so happy. He would probably become my 102 then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, all right. So that's a banana pepper take for Trey. Maybe even a milk take for for Trey Berry. <laughs> 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 no, that's a milk take. So Trey may drop off because because he's got. I think he's going to work tomorrow. So we'll let you go to Trey if you need to. Um, no. I'll, I'm good. Trey's going to, going to, going to, you know, uh, person here. Out. So, so Nick Whalen, what's your hot, bold, spicy take for day two of the NFL draft?
5: Um, actually, I agree with some of that. I agree that guys is going to fall. And I think Chubb actually does go to the Colts. Hmm. Um, I would say a, a mild take would be Rojo going to the Buccaneers before guys. Um, but in my dream world, you guys can shake me. I would love to see Sutton get paired up with Andrew Luck, and Andrew Luck comes back, and it's just glorious. So that's that's my dream <laughs> scenario. Or he goes to Chicago, and then I can cheer for him all the time. He's oh, so going 204 or 205. Yeah, and then now. he's going to be my 102, and just because I like to. That would
0: be crazy <laughs> if he went to Chicago. I mean, I mean, they need like like uh, interior lineman, uh, as you
2: pointed out earlier. But yeah, and, I'd be pretty thrilled if he
0: went to Chicago.
2: As and, well. and quick, tan, quick tangent, Nick. Uh, are, are, how concerned are you about Luck? As far as like, a, I I've never I, I, I in some brief like looking back, I don't think I've ever seen a, a narrative that's been like Lux. And I, I I honestly he hasn't toured a football in like a year, right? Like how What's safe? The last is that? But, I know, but it, it, like, I don't. I don't have like a a GoPro on him, seeing if whether i throwing. So it's <laughs> where it's going to come from? Like, uh, you maybe know, you like,
5: should.
1: Maybe that's <laughs>
5: that, maybe that's the answer. if yeah, Luck, if, a luck had agreed with a GoPro scene.
2: on him, he'd be he'd be throwing way more footballs, way more accurately. That's all I gotta say.
5: I mean, honestly, though, I mean, it's concerning. You want to think about big time quarterbacks with injuries? Chad Pennington came back from a shoulder injury twice, but he didn't wait this long. And Peyton Manning had the, the spine, but he still came back earlier than Luck did. I'm concerned. My only share I just sold of him in a league, and I got I got a pretty solid price back. Uh, but I, I got out, and I loved Andrew Luck coming out. But honestly, this is just not a great scenario right now.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty terrified. Like, I want to – because I bought a couple of T.Y. Hilton chairs uh, this offseason just because, like, he's just so cheap and he's still, left feel like, an elite wide receiver. But – 80% is there. At least percent has another year with them. We can make more than one read, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm terrified about Lux.
1: Anyway. Okay. I think we'll the draft continue. picks maybe, um, made me feel a little better. I mean, they bought someone to protect Lux yeah. and didn't go for any of the quarterbacks. I mean, that, that, that made me feel a little better. Um, the guy I normally follow for injury news is Jeremy Funk. Uh, he's a DLF writer he's actually a doctor and he's a Colts fan. And what he says is, um, he he thinks he's going to be okay based on their moves, and again in the draft it seemed to back it up a little bit at least. I'm mean, I still nervous, but looking for any ray of light I can find. Yeah. <laughs> well, what did he say last year at this time? In it,
2: all I I'll
5: Bob, guys. I'll see you guys. Thanks, Nick. But Appreciate it. it. Yep, see, you boys.
2: All right. But like uh, Peter, like uh, maybe like, or like just before the preseason, did you think he was going to come back last year too?
1: Um, I don't know. I actually wasn't uh writing for DLF or talking to Jeremy at that point. Um, <laughs> I'm just curious, but <laughs> I'm gonna say no because I hope he's always right. <laughs> what
2: it? yeah, it's like uh, because well, I feel like the, yeah, there's, there's a lot of opinions He you come back at some
1: point next year and then he's just was out anyway. Okay. Yeah, that that the whole thing was weird, just constantly next week, right? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's, back next week anytime now <laughs> that I drafted him in my like um hometown redraft league and that killed me <laughs> every week
0: so, so so it's getting late i, I want to make sure our guests can can jump off who who wants to jump in next paul peter who wants to go next with their hot bold spicy take oh. of day two
6: sure i'll jump in uh i do think tomorrow we're going to see nine wide receivers go in on day two so i nice. think I think <laughs> nice so I think this like Nick was saying before about tomorrow really set the stage for for our rookie drafts. I think he's 100% spot on. I'm expecting nine tomorrow. Cortland Sutton, DJ Char, Christian Kirk, James Washington, Anthony Miller, Michael Gallup, Deion Kane, Dante Pettis, and Equinemius St. Brown with an outside chance at 10 in Deshaun Hamilton. So I think nine or 10 wide receivers come off the board. And because three running backs went tonight, I'm going to go out on a limb and say my guy, Kalen Balaj, is a top 100 pick and goes off the board before <laughs> the end of tomorrow. So if you're listening to
0: this on double speed, if you listen to the podcast, you need to slow it down because Paul just flew through those wide receivers. Um, but, but no, that that's, that's awesome. I, I love it. I love it. Um, it. Yeah. Cause we were talking about this before, you know, doing these drafter parties day two is really going to be where it's at in terms of, uh, most dynasty leagues just to see where a lot of these skill position players go. Cause we didn't have very many tonight, but yeah, day two is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, all, all right, Peter. Um, wh- what about you? What's your hot, bold, spicy take of day
1: two? I have more questions. So you're going to have to stick around for about an hour. And um, no, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's fine. I'm really enjoying it. Sorry. We're, we're good. We're um,
0: good. I, I don't know how, how. As long as you give, uh, We'll, uh, long we'll, we'll go to yeah. like 3 a.m. I don't know how Paul's doing, but we're, we're good.
1: <laughs> I, what I want to <laughs> say is that Paul missed one and that Traquan Smith is going to get drafted by something ridiculous like, I don't know, the Seahawks or Green Bay. But I don't think I'm going to get that. I think he's going to go in the, hopefully, the third round. I think Paul's right. Um, I, I also think he's right. We're going to get more wide receivers. Actually, I'll go. I don't know if he meant this, um, but not just a lot of wide receivers, but more wide receivers than running backs are going to go off in round two. And I I, I guess the only way I can make that spicy is to come up with a prediction. Um, uh, so I guess James Washington <laughs> will go to Green Bay. Is that definite enough to be spicy? Yes. <laughs> All right. Like <laughs> there you go.
2: Like, I mean, it's like a, like a hot pino. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: not bad. That's not bad. All right. Well, quickly, let's, let, let's, let's wrap up here. What, what do you, what's your hot, bold, spicy take of day two?
2: Oh man. So much going on, uh, with day two. And it's, I was looking at the picks earlier. So, uh, my, my uh, hot, bold, spicy take will be in the first like four picks. Somebody will trade up and take Mason Rudolph.
0: All right. So, so here's my hot, bold, spicy take. Um, uh, I'm going to stick with my guy, my guy throughout this whole process, Kyle LaLetta. Kyle LaLetta <laughs> will be drafted in day two. That's my how Boltzby's dick. Might even be a Carolina Reaper. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I
2: guess it's kind of crazy. The Patriots are uh, probably taken. Yeah. The fact that they took Sonny Michelle is so weird. Is it, Why are we not talking about how weird this is, that the Patriots took a running back in round one after years? after? It's like, strange. Was I didn't last Sonny Michelle. We really didn't talk about I mean, that much. We oh. shouldn't talk about
0: that. Paul, you didn't talk about that. What, what are your thoughts on, on, on Sonny Michelle before we get out of here?
6: I mean, I, I was definitely surprised, as as one of you guys just said, in terms of the Patriots, they don't usually just put a premium on running backs. So it tells me a couple of things. It tells me, one – I don't think the, the injury stuff that was being talked about guys to, uh, I mean, about Michelle today is that significant because I just don't think the Patriots would invest a first round pick on a guy who they think might have a, you know, an injury issue. So I think that's the first thing it it, it says. The second thing I think it says is, is that they do look at him as a guy who could be a focal point of the offense. I don't think they're just taking him to have him as a 10 touch guy because if that was the case, I think they would wait. Like I don't think they see the value. So, I think he's going to be a guy. Like right now, for me, it's an it's a not even it's not even close. Uh, I would take him over Richard Penny by leaps and bounds in terms of dynasty rookie draft. Now I, I know right now only three running backs have been taken, but Richard Penny's going into a situation where it's one of the worst offensive lines in football. They have absolutely no playmakers on the outside that stretch the defenses and. Rushar Penny can't pass protect, which means he's ve- rarely going to be on the field on third downs, and he's not going to impact the passing game and pick up those receiving stuff. So he's going to be squarely a early down runner behind a terrible offensive line that hasn't put out a productive running game in years since the last time Marshawn Lynch did it. Sony Michelle on the other side. I think the only running backs that are going to be active on game day are going to be Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, and James White. I guess is an outside possibility. You know, Brandon Bolden sticks around because he's good on special teams, but obviously that has no impact on the on the actual uh, offensive side of the ball. Michelle's going to be the guy that plays near the goal line, so he might not be that prototypical big back like a Gillislee or somebody like that. But I think I think Sony Michelle is going to be a guy who is their early down runner, and he's going to be their goal line guy. Now, I don't think we're going to see Michelle impact the passing game all that much because I think they'll specialize there with James White, and then they'll use Rex Burkhead a little bit uh, in a variety of ways, and I do think they'll all be on the field and play a lot at, at times, but I do think Michelle's a guy who I would say he's probably going to see 14 or 15 touches, and if he sees 14 or 15 touches a game and he's getting the ball near the goal line, I think he's going to be a pretty productive fantasy uh, asset because I think in that offense he he would have a legitimate shot between seven and like say eleven touchdowns because they're not going to hand the ball to James White inside the five and you know Burkhead could do it a little bit but I think they look at Michelle as a guy who could be their their focal point of the running game and then use White and Burkhead in like a variety of roles mostly like change of pace and pass catching roles so I actually I'm surprised by it. It's not. It's very unpatriot like. But I do think the fantasy ramifications could be could be uh, plentiful, and I think it could be a guy that's intriguing. And if Geist doesn't land in an ideal spot, I think Michelle could push his way potentially to be the one point oh two pick. Uh, I do think Chubb and, and Geis' landing spots could impact that a little bit, but I, I do think Michelle is in the mix because I do think he'll have that touchdown upside uh, in New England.
2: Yeah. And you see there, if there's, they're sitting there at 31, they had no shortage of suitors to, to trade back up just to get in that first round, you know, so they can have like other teams have that availability for that fifth year uh, extension. So it's not like taking Sonny Michel for them was a cheap cost. I feel, you know, and I'm just super shocked by it. Just,
6: I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Baltimore called them and offered the same trade they did to Philadelphia. And that, and that's a typical new England move. And, they could have went back to fifty-two. I think that's where the the Ravens were coming from. And at fifty-two, there's going to be good running backs on the board. I mean, Ronald Jones might still be there. Carrion Johnson's probably definitely going to be there. Uh, you know, so you know, there's gonna be other good running backs that they could have got there or they could have waited a little further and took a guy like Royce Freeman to be their early down runner and paired him with Rex Burke. I thought it was gonna be more a guy like that than mm-hmm. a guy early in the draft. So it it definitely was surprising. But to me, is Belichick has a clear plan for everything he does, and I think that should tell us that he's going to be a fantasy asset because he's going to be a, he's going to be a bigger part of that offense than we think. They didn't just waste the thirty first pick in the first round on a guy who's going to play like twelve, who's going to get like ten to twelve touches oh, yeah. and just be a part of a small committee, just be a part of like a committee. I think he's going to be a bigger part than maybe we're used to seeing a Patriots running back be. Yeah, and first round picks are expensive.
2: That's it's like especially with the running back position, that's like the, the actual like dollar cost of the team anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think Not, it's weird though. Um I even when the scenario you've laid out there to pick Sony Michelle for fourteen, fifteen coaches, he's gonna need more than that for me to value him that high anyway, but um I'm wondering if they got tired of carrying so many. I mean, it was a really good, versatile idea, but then they got hit with injuries and they had to play with the IR a little more than they usually do. And I'm wondering if they want to clear out the depth chart a little bit, and that's why they invested. And he, even then, Sony... Uh, the, I'm not going to question the Patriots, right? But Or Bill Belichick. <laughs> he's a weird choice, especially if you want a goal line guy. I mean, he's got like... If you want to wake up least, tomorrow morning, you don't question the, the Patriots. Least, yeah, Exactly he's got the least body of work as the hammer right i mean he's he didn't have a workhorse load he was more involved in the passing game than most of the other backs in that range i mean Geis and chubb are both more renowned as better hammers or better between i mean it just seems even in that scenario michelle was a weird choice i don't know what to call him, sony or michelle both sound weird
3: when
6: I use them individually. Sorry. Yeah, I mean yeah, I, 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 I mean I think the guys, I think Geist or Chubb would have would have been a little bit even more crazy. ideal in terms of you know what they were looking for to complement Burkhead and and James White. So I agree a hundred percent with that. Uh with that said, I think we saw last year as the year went on when they basically just put Gillis Lee on the bench That they still had a pretty productive running game with Deion Lewis, you know, Burkhead and James White. So I, I guess they're viewing, I mean, Deion Lewis was a pretty big fantasy impact down the stretch last year and probably was, again, I would, I would have to look it up, but my guess is he was probably in that 14 to 16 touch, you know, world, uh, just guessing off the top of my head, uh, I, I guess that's what they're viewing michelle to to come in and be like very similar to the role that Dion Lewis had. I don't think yeah a little a, than, u- yeah yeah, yeah right. I don't think he's gonna have a <laughs> huge impact in the in the passing game because they do have those specialized roles for for burkhead and and for James White, so it's just weird that they look to replace you know Dion Lewis with a first round pick so i I do agree really? that it, it is strange,
2: yeah it, but I think so. Michelle Greta is one of the top pass blockers, right. Like as far as everything goes,
6: yeah, he's. I think he, I think he's definitely someone that uh, all these college guys, a lot of them, you know, very few of them, you know, check off that box. Well, just because they're just not asked to do it much uh, in college. But I, I do think off the top of my head that he he was at least you know serviceable. But I don't even think he's gonna be asked to do that much because probably he you know when he's in the on on the field, he'll probably be getting a lot of, he'll begin carries. And then when it's a passing play, a lot of times they'll probably bring in Burkhead, who's, who's a really good pass protector or James White. So it's, it's unique. It's interesting. The landing spots of these day two running backs will really dictate the top five, top six running back boards. I think for dynasty leagues, because it can go so many ways depending on where Jones and Chubb and, uh, Geis and, uh, you know, carry on Johnson land, uh, and then I guess even you could throw Royce Freeman in there a little bit, but he's a little bit down for me. Uh, and then I know John Kelly, I'm a fan of him. I, I do. I don't think he's going tomorrow though, to be honest with you. I think he's going to be there, uh, for the beginning of round four. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how these guys come off and who ends and who lands in ideal landing spots. Cause there are some ideal landing spots. You guys have mentioned the Colts, uh, Tampa Bay, the lions that they went out and got a really good offensive line. Who's going to Offensive lineman tonight, who's going to kind of stabilize the interior there, and is a physical guy who really helps the run game. So I think right there, the Lions, uh, and then what we just said, the Colts and the Bucks. Whoever, if they get running backs tomorrow, they're going to be in in really good landing spots. And obviously, Penny's going to have a chance to be the starter in Seattle, and and I think Michelle's going to be the clear starter. Uh, for whatever that's worth in New England. So a lot of these guys may end up in good landing spots if they go to the teams that are in most need of uh, running back. So it's going to be fun. I think the wide receivers is going to be most fascinating because those 10 or so that I talked about potentially going tomorrow, I don't think there's any clear-cut order. I think landing spot and depth charts is going to dramatically impact uh the way they fold in uh in rookie drafts. It's you, it's you, going,
1: do,
6: you think based on this
2: landing spot, uh, Michelle is going to outscore – Barkley, you're one right now?
6: No, no, I'm not even close. I I think I think I think Mike Clay uh I think when you really stop and think about it, I don't think those projections were that far off because like, you know, w- when you really think about the impact that Barkley's going to make. Obviously, he's going to have, you know, a ton of touches, uh, you know, in the running game and then also in the receiving game. But I I think sometimes people, you know, forget like 1100 yards rushing is 68 yards a game. I'd be surprised if Barkley doesn't average 68 yards rushing a game. I think the Giants are going to make a more concerted effort. They signed Nate Solder. I'm expecting a a lineman to start tomorrow. I even think they could double dip and get another one in round three as well. So I think they're going to try to solidify that line that I do think 1100 is a safe estimate for Barkley's rushing yards. And then receiving, I think he's definitely going to impact In that regards, and if you play in PPR, I don't see how he doesn't catch 50 passes. And you know, touchdowns is always a fluky stat. It's very hard to project from year to year. You know, maybe it's six, but maybe it's ten or twelve. Like I mean, but even if it's six, I still think he's clear and away the number one running back. You know, in terms of fantasy next year. But again, one of these guys could go in the perfect spot tomorrow, and then maybe there this year's Kareem Hunt. So I don't think it's crazy to think that. You know, somebody out produces Barkley in terms of fantasy points next year. I just don't think it's going to be Michelle. I just don't think he'll get enough usage to really push the envelope, unless he has like one of those Laguard Blunt, where Laguard Blunt fell in the end zone 18 times. You know, sure, then maybe I can see Sony Michelle. Any running back that would score that many times, obviously, could would be near to top of the ranking board. But I have a hard time seeing Michelle outscoring Barkley.
1: I've um. Sorry, I keep cutting in here. <laughs> no, Peter, doing, you're um, good.
0: You're good. Don't worry about it, man. You're doing, know, good for
1: yeah. It. Yeah. I've been doing projections for the Roto Underworld draft guide, which is meant to be coming out. I guess I'm meant to be working on that now. The draft started actually, and mm-hmm. um, but the the projections. Obviously, Mike Clay's the best in the business at it. So yeah, they're incredibly reasonable, even assuming average efficiency. I can tell you that. What I'm worried about, not worried about. I'm wondering about. I can't wait to go see what Mike did with. Um, Mike, as if he's my friend, Mr. Mike. Call <laughs> um, him Mikey. All Ma- <laughs> right, good on Mike. Good on Mikey. Um, I'm wondering where he got the targets from, because normally when you do an expected pass-to-run ratio, and you can change that a little bit now they've drafted Barkley, you assume they're going to run more than when they had um, no one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, those targets, are we going to, you know, uh, take them from Ingram? Are we Are going to take them from Shepard? Um, I- I'm wondering where he where he affected the passing game. Because you're right, uh, 50 catches is more than reasonable for a back like Barkley if he does half of what he's capable of. So I'm wondering who who are meant to be cutting from our rosters, whether it's Sterling Shepherd or Evan Ingram.
6: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Ingram's definitely in for a, I mean, I think as much as I love Ingram, the talent, I think he's explosive and really creates mismatches. I think he was always in for a little bit of a regression this year in terms of total target shares. What would Beckham back? Uh, And this is definitely going to hurt as well. Uh, Shepard when he was healthy last year, had a lot of targets. He's going to have to lose targets too. I think, I think, you know, obviously Beckham's going to get his. You know, that's 28% easy. Yeah. I mean, that's 100, you know, 120, 130, 100, whatever it is. I mean, Barkley's probably, I mean, Beckham's going to get that. And then everything's going to revolve around uh, from there. So it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. You know, whatever, whatever people might think about that pick, it, it, they're going to, they're definitely going to. Keep some defensive coordinators up at night the night before the week of games, trying to come up with a game plan of how you stop Beckham, Barkley, Ingram, and Shepard. I mean, Shepard is like a forgotten guy, but he's a really good route runner. Like that was his calling card in college. You know, that was he had a really productive year one. You know, last year when he was healthy and and was the focal point of the offense, he had some really good games as well. You know, and he he's going to be a forgotten guy being matched up on like you know who knows who he's going to be matched up on because they might have to use their slot corners or whoever to, you know, match up with Barkley if he's out lined up or, or Ingram. So, I mean, I, it's going to be a pick your poison type thing that if, if the O line could just hold up, I mean, I don't know how the giants don't have a really explosive offense next year. Uh, even if Eli is regressing and is average to slightly above, I I mean, that, that might be good enough to, to to put up really good productive stats. So it's going to be fun, uh, as a giant fan, it'll be interesting to see, uh, so we'll, I'm looking forward to it. So, so Paul, is there a
0: buy or sell uh, on the Giants roster? Is is Evan Gr- Ingram? Dare we say it? Is he a sell?
6: No, I, I don't think it's a sell because I I do think I do think he at the tight end position. I still think he's a guy who, you know, I don't think we could expect him now to maybe make a leap up to that Ertz. You know, Grand Kelsey territory, but I do think he's still comfortably in that next three or four guys, you know, because even those guys, there's going to be some question marks. Like, you know, I, I know I, I'm I'm uncertain with how much production DJ Moore gets this year, but, you know, Greg Olson's going to lose some touches too and and some target opportunities because, you know, DJ Moore is obviously significantly better than anybody else that they were playing last year, you know, lining up outside as a wide receiver, you know, so Greg Olson's stats are going to come down a little bit. Hunter Henry, I know everyone loves Hunter Henry, but They have a lot of mouths to feed there too. If Mike Williams, you know, shows anything this year, they still have Keenan Allen, you know, so they, you know, so I don't think Hunter Henry is dramatically better than Evan Ingram, you know, so I I do, I still do think, you know, Evan Ingram is going to live in that world, uh, of, you know, tight end four to tight end eight or nine. I think those guys are, there's always a rage, a razor thin, You know, margin between those guys, anyway. And so much of it is who scores the touchdown. So I I do think Evan Ingram will still have a pretty good opportunity to be a significant red zone weapon. Because to be honest with you, If they don't sign another wide receiver of of significance, they don't really have a third wide receiver. So I think they might be a lot of times where they go with two tight ends and really Evan Ingram is just a slot wide receiver or even an outside wide receiver who I think some people think he could do that. I mean, I, I know we're watching the draft tonight, but it was just 365 days ago that Mike Mayock said he reminded him of you know, uh, Mike Evans in terms of his body type and his style of play. Like, I know that's not what the Giants use him as. They use him as more of that move tight end, but I do think Evan Ingram has the capabilities to play a little bit outside wide receiver, or if Shepard's out there, be line him up in the slot and then have Ellison as the blocking tight end. I think you might see a lot of that because, you know, Roger Lewis, like, I mean, you know, Cody Latimer, like those guys aren't going to aren't really going to see many, you know, opportunities in the passing game. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, if for some reason they get Des Bryant on the cheap, I have absolutely no idea how to figure out who's getting targets in that offense, but I I think that ship is sailed.
2: Yeah. And I think, uh, I think it's worth noting the giants offense last year was anemic at best. And so those guys, people are going to score more touchdowns. That's the way it's going to go. They put up 246, just scoreboard points in general. Like, not even, like, diving into it, looking at how much those were just offensive, but, like, the Giants are going to put up, they're not going to put up 246 next year. There's going to be uh, a good regression back to the mean for them, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's massive, you know?
6: Yeah, I mean, if if you really stop and think about it, like, they played almost the entire year without Odell Beckham and literally no efficient running game. Like, so... Eli Manning is not going to know what to do. Last year, he was thrown to nobodies and had nobody in the backfield. And now this year, if Odell Beckham and Saquon Barkley are healthy, like you are literally adding two of, of arguably could become sooner rather than later. You know, if he had Barkley in the mix, the two of the more explosive playmakers in all of football, if, if Barkley reaches what people think he could be like that, there, there's, it's going to be night and day. I mean, I, I think you know the Giants are you know again because they chose this route to 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 go for now. I think, I think their win, their win percentage, I mean, they're not winning three games next year. If those guys stay healthy, I mean, I think they're, I think they'll be back in like the seven to nine range. And if they, the bounce of the ball goes their way, you know, maybe they win 10 or 11 games. I mean, there's such a small difference between winning eight games and 11 games. It's really, you know, amazing when you really stop and think about it. Uh, But I, I think they're much more in that, you know, seven to nine range anymore than, you know, like three or four where, where they were last year. Yeah, they
2: they, only, they threw for 20 touchdowns and ran for six. It's, it's horrible,
1: horrible. Yeah, like, I think you have to be careful separating that a massive regression back to the mean would be average, right? If Beckham does what he's going to do and Barkley does half of what we think he's going to do, that would be a massive regression back to the mean. To so start adding in Shepard and Ingram, you're, you're, you're jumping a, a big shark. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, Eli Manning's mean – when he was an elite quarterback wasn't supporting two top twenty four fantasy athletes in the receiving game, so the idea that he would do more than one next year when his mean is significantly lower than he used to, even if he's not watched, even if it's just a little lower, I think we're like I think Beckham's going to be fantastic, and Barkley's going to be fantastic, but I would find it really hard to add in anyone else to a fantasy level of significance after that, right? I just yeah. Uh, Eli made all those (laughs) touchdowns, right?
6: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Eli's going to be an interesting like quarterback too, in like a super flex league or a guy like if you're one of those last people to get your starters and like in redraft leagues, like you know, like you draft somebody like. I don't know, Phillip Rivers, like, and then you drive like Eli as a backup and you like play some matchups because Eli's obviously going to have some good weeks. Like I, I can't see a scenario where he doesn't have some spike weeks that maybe yeah, it might cool. be against bad defenses and you play the matchups a little bit, but there's going to be some weeks that Odell goes off for a buck 50 and two touchdowns and, you know, yeah, in Barkley. You know, and Barkley makes a big play, and maybe it's in the passing game, like you know. So there's going to be some weeks. Like, as someone that loves DraftKings, like I feel like Eli's going to be like a dirt cheap quarterback that is definitely going to get some some play uh, until you know maybe DraftKings comes around and you know if he starts having those weeks, obviously they start you know changing the salary significantly. But it'll it'll be fun to try to pick and choose those games. And really, their defense really could impact a lot if their defense is, is is shaky again. That could put them. Into some shootouts. So it'll it'll be fun, I think, for from fantasy anyway.
1: Well, if Alex Smith can become a deep passing quarterback, I think Eli Manning can probably
6: do that for Yeah, I, I think Eli can get that. back in <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right, guys. W- with that, we should probably end this bad boy. It is uh 145 East Coast time for podcast listeners that listen to this on on Friday morning. So uh l- let's get out of here. Um we we will do this again day two the, the drafter party um i, I don't know pa- paul peter are you guys going to join us tomorrow night if not we, we understand but uh can you can you can you come back uh if i
6: can if i can pop on uh again i'll re- i'll be recording saturday sunday uh right after round three ends but uh if you guys are going as long as tonight uh i might have a, <laughs> <laughs> i might have an opportunity and if, I, and if i'm still functioning because i feel like i'm not going right. to go to bed until like 4 a.m. because <laughs> I'm, I'm too wide awake. I feel like I got to catch up on the last two hours of Twitter. Like no kidding, right? Uh, yeah, so so like I I feel like you know I, by the time tomorrow rolls around and I, I won't sleep much because once it gets light out, my dog will wake me up and and that'll be the whole that'll be the morning. <laughs> That'll be that'll like I'll sleep like two hours tonight. So we'll see we'll see how I'm going like tomorrow night at like one a.m. after I finish the podcast or twelve o'clock. But yeah, if if I can, I would I would definitely uh, jump back on. Uh, Definitely a blast hanging out with all you guys. Uh, We appreciate it, Paul. All right, how's it going? Thanks, Paul. Yeah, and Peter.
0: Hopefully, you can join us tomorrow night as well. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll see how we're doing.
1: I'm actually um, meant to be on the Dynasty Dummies one, but oh yeah, that's right, that's right. like Paul says, if I'm welcome back after all that lathering I did, then by all means, I'll, I'll try and jump back on when it' finished. No, no
0: that's cool. Yeah, I, I think the Dynasty Dummies are before us tomorrow, so yeah, so right. day two. So so check them out if you're listening to this. You you want to get some day two coverage? We'll we'll plug our <laughs> Dynasty well, Dummies uh, podcast because they're, they're, they're going live during the draft on day two.
2: And, and Peter, yeah. my uh, my direct boss is is English, so and we okay. we kind of have a connection, so it's fine. Yeah,
1: we're basically cousins. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: right,
0: yeah, yeah. But I want to say we got Bradley Ilotalo from from DLF uh, um, g- coming at us, coming with us tomorrow night on Friday night. We've we've got Tyler Gee of the F three podcast, host of the F three podcast tomorrow night. So it's going to be awesome. So join us for day two of the drafter Party. With that, I'm Ryan Livergood. Um, the, the last three standing, we've got Will Greenwood and Peter um uh Howard with us so anyway good night everybody thank you for listening to the uh the draft party day one
1: good night um can't wait to see all the Iowa players go tomorrow Just-